choice. So very happy that this is a list that is fully possible because of the orcs of o- orcs of did I just say orcs of omen? Yes, the orcs of omen attack. <laughs> orc, that- orc, 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 orc. <laughs> Welcome to Furred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that knows when it's time to do a filler show. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yeah, I say it's a filler show because we actually don't have a lot to cover because we are kind of in this interesting little gap because we just had like our big Arcs of Omen discussion last episode and uh, we've got LVO coming up next week. Which, Kevin, you will be attending LVO, specifically the Friendly event there. And so, obviously, there will be a bunch of new releases or reveals next week. We know that uh, it's not going to be long before we have World Eaters and uh, the next Arcs of Omen book to look forward to. So, we're still waiting on those. Uh, So, here we are in the middle and honestly, I'm fine with a shorter filler episode because uh, that last episode was a four-hour marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in yeah. in retrospect, maybe we should have split those into two episodes. <laughs> perhaps, may, perhaps, perhaps. We were just mistakes, enjoying talking. Mistakes were made. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to consider this episode a supplemental to last episode because we are going to talk about uh, army building for those Arcs of Omen detachments. Uh, not getting into army building for uh, boarding actions. Again, I don't think any of us have had a chance to really poke at actually playing boarding actions and getting a feel for it, but we know how to play in standard 40k, so we can build lists for that, I think, I hope. Uh, I make no promises. <laughs> sure. I mean, I find list building quite fun. I've also built some boarding action lists, but that's, I don't know when I'll ever play, but I built the list for it. I gotta gotta say, I'll I'll admit up front, I uh, misread the assignment and I created like four or five boarding action armies. I'm like, oh, cool, this would be fun. And then I'm like, now I'm I'm scrambling to add 1,500 points to those lists. So... And an HQ? (laughs) Well, I had HQ in some of them. (laughs) I uh, just I I just woke up, so I don't have any lists at all. <laughs> well, you so missed we last episode, collaborate. so this will this will be your primer on how to build on, on the arcs of Omen detachment. We'll wait. Very we'll good. get you. We'll get you up to speed. Yeah, collaborate so, on like orcs and nids. Yeah, yeah. So so ask questions as necessary. <laughs> yep. Uh, so before we get to that, though, as always, uh, news and new releases. And actually, we don't have a lot of new releases, although the uh, a lot of the Imperial Guard stuff has gone up for pre-order, including the Codex, Lord Solar Leontis, uh, Ursula Creed, the new Cadian Shock Troops box, the Cadian Command Squad, the Heavy Weapons Squad, the Rogaldorn Tank, the Field Ordnance Battery, the Sentinel, basically a lot of the stuff that was in the Army box and a few things that weren't. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've also repackaged the Bane Blade and the Lehman Russ and the Primaris. Like, a lot of stuff 
is getting pre- repackaged with like the new design styling. So, well, I do like with the Bane Blade that like they're they're throwing all of the sprues in there because I know for a little while it was the Bane Blade. It was one box, and then the Shadow Sword Stormlord was a different box. So they're throwing like all like eighteen Bane Blade variants in like one box now, which is nice. That box has got to be huge. <laughs> oh yeah, it's going to be enormous. <laughs> but like at one hundred and seventy bucks with all of the weapon sprues, that's actually not a terrible deal for a right. super heavy. <laughs> As I sit here specking out an Imperial Guard army, going, hmm, I wonder how how I could build one. <laughs> it got you. It got you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also specking out how to finish up my Votan. Here's, here's the thing, thinking though. the world leader <laughs> stuff, so I'm not going to do it anytime soon. Here's the thing, though, Kevin. If you build an Imperial Guard army, we can't do the joke anymore, because somebody will actually play Guard. Although, hey. Richard, it sounded like you were kind of moving in that direction anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the way they changed Brood Brothers just kind of uh, took a crap in my plans. So, well... <laughs> uh, I mean, look, Rob, we're we're good at getting rid of jokes. Last year, they got rid of my Voton joke. True. (laughs) Well, we'll say this. There's one thing that you've learned from this podcast. Just because I own an army doesn't mean I play it. Fair enough. (laughs) That's also true. Same here. (laughs) And and so, Richard, how's that going with avoiding picking up any more Horde armies? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... I I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, we were talking about like what with what they disallowed from Brew Brothers, like what HQs are left, and we named off, you know, like the generic platoon command squad and like the Primaris Psyker. There's also the tank commander. Oh, so yeah. like that is still an option, yeah. So like I can just use some Lehman Russes and like fill up 500 points with that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that would, that would totally work. What, what does the, what does uh Gene Steeler cults not really have tank bring tank, lots of tank. Yep. But yeah, so uh, the guard stuff is, is available for pre-order as of yesterday. And uh, so if you are looking to get in, uh, now wouldn't be a bad time. Although, again, as we have said, this is not a cheap army because a squad of 10 Cadian Shock Troops is 50 bucks, and you're going to be fielding a few of those. So enjoy. Um, And I don't think they have a combat patrol available for them yet either. So there's not even like a cheap way to, or like, you know, some way with a discount to get a bunch of them. And I imagine that the old start collecting for guard has probably been discontinued. Let's see. Oh, I'm sure it has been. I will say this just at least anecdotally, I have still seen a number of those Cadia stands boxes still available at stores. So, okay. So, uh, start collecting Astro Militarum is temporarily out of stock online. Yeah, makes uh, sense. But the Militarum Tempestus box is still available. Um, that one doesn't look to be going away anytime soon. So, that's actually not a bad way to build in a, like a Tempestus detachment if you are interested in moving in that direction. Although, it's funny if you click 
go under start collecting, three, four, no, five of the options under start collecting are actually combat patrols. So things are weirdly categorized on the Games Workshop website, but... But that's also because at this point, there are two start collecting boxes left. There's Militarum Tempestus and Demons of Slanesh. I, I guess, you know, this is kind of like where we, we give them a salute as they, you know, ride off into the distance. Because at this point, like, the, the entire start collecting line is pretty much done. We yeah. moved on to the, the combat patrol era. Because even on the Age of Sigmar side, they have the vanguards now rather than start collecting boxes. So it's uh, end of an era. The we, we missed the start collecting boxes. They were a good way to kind of kickstart an army. But combat patrols, I think, tend to be a little bit more well-rounded and actually, like, viable, as opposed to some of the start collecting boxes were better than others. But, uh, I mean, still yeah, some of the combat sure. patrols are better than others, too. So it's it's a start collecting box, but more so. Uh, but actually, no, the 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 pre-orders are not the biggest announcement that came out uh, in the last couple of weeks or so, we had a big one, like right after we, like we dropped the episode. So just about nine days ago, uh, the new U.S. Open series was announced for 2023. Yay! And, and we're kind of excited because we get a twofer on KC. <laughs> <laughs> we get a repeat. KC is back. This surprised me because the first year they said they want to move around the city so they could have different areas of the country in different locations. Yeah. But I guess Kansas City impressed them so much that they're doing again, maybe central location, the well, food. They, they, did, they did mention yeah. the food. <laughs> yeah, they did yeah. say hey, we had the best food. So, Well, and, and as we were talking at the event, the uh, the guy that was kind of – coordinating it is like from Kansas City so it makes sense that he would try to come back as you know convince people to come back as soon as possible uh but no this is great like i'm super happy that they're coming back again that was a really fun event um, yeah. yeah the only air quote downside is it's it's the weekend after midwest conquest so yeah I, I, i'm going to pull the two weekender in casey yep. which Same. i think kev you said too yeah so yeah it's going to be no. weird being there for two weeks in a row after yeah. not being there for a long time. Yep. That's going to be a <laughs> lot of 40 K. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, which is good, but it, yeah. it's very interesting <laughs> because, you know, pairing it with pairing it up with Midwest conquest, you know, uh, there is no, there's no singles event at the, at the open. There's just a team event and the narrative. So if anybody is you know planning on traveling and wanting to come to events, You've got Midwest Conquest the week before where you can come and you can play either in the friendly or you can play in the singles tournament. And then, you know, it's a it's a holiday week, so it's kind of a short week. If you can, you know, stay for a couple of days, there's a lot of stuff to do in Kansas City. And we can, you know, talk about that in a future um, episode if people are interested. Um, and then, you know, and then the GW event that weekend where you can do like the narrative or you can do the hobby classes like that. So my hope is that having them that close isn't going to dissuade people because they are kind of different events and you might be able to come into town and do, you know, do both of them and, and have a really like fun mini vacation. Yeah. Now who I feel bad for is bug eater because this is the weekend of bug eater. Mm -hmm. That's, that's hard, but at least it is a team tournament as opposed to a solos event. So if you do not have a team of people, put together then playing at bug eater open omaha is definitely a, a very good option um yeah. but i do find it interesting though this is a five person team tournament and all members of the winning team will get 
uh, tickets to the world championships. So you can get five people into the finals in one go. And this is also, I believe, the only team tournament of the Open Series. All the the other two events will be uh, singles. Right. Yeah. And I, I got to assume the reason there's no singles event, and this is 100% pure speculation, but I got to imagine that if they're planning on actually releasing 10th edition in late May, early June, like they normally do, they didn't want to even deal with the, let's run a singles event using... <laughs> Using an old rule set or using a rule set that we know is you know, that's, going to go away in a couple of weeks. That's an interesting point. That's one I had not considered because the next event is in Tacoma, Washington, yep. uh, 14th through 16th, which is almost a, a repeat because they were in Seattle and, yep. you know, Tacoma is obviously very close, but it's not exactly the same. Uh, and that is not until... July 14th through 16th, which is which is mm-hmm. the weekend of Show Me Showdown, which I will definitely be at Show Me Showdown because it's here in Lee Summit. So I have no reason not to attend. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then but, uh, October 13th through 15th, they're in Tampa Bay, Florida. Yeah. So like same read because they were in Jacksonville one year. So keeping that Florida... No, they were in Orlando the first time. Orla- my bad. They're in Orlando. I've got Jacksonville. No, we beat brain. Jacksonville last night. <laughs> right. <laughs> so- yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but say, the the Florida connection is there. Yeah. Yeah. So three main events: Kansas City, where there's the team tournaments, and yes, the uh, narrative event. Which again, we'll definitely be playing in that. That was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Uh, Tacoma, 14th through 16th of July, which will be, and also I find it interesting that uh, they decided not to do a Blood Bowl only at one event. Their Blood Bowl tournaments are at all three events. No, they're uh, not. I, I was breaking it down when I was looking at it. Blood Bowls in Kansas City and Tampa, and only those Tacoma's two. Le- Tacoma's has a Blood Bowl tournament. It it's the fourth of. Down? Yep, Grand Forty okay. uh, K Grand Tournament, Sigmar Grand Tournament, Kill Team Blood Bowl, Forty K Crusade, which is narrative. They do have a Horse Heresy and Warhammer Underworlds, which I. They're the only ones that have a Horse Heresy event. Oh, these and, is expand. Yeah, okay. And KC does not have an Heresy or a Warhammer Underworlds. Tampa Bay does have Warhammer Underworlds, but no Horse Heresy. They're also like not in the same order on each page, so it's a little yeah. <laughs> or on each section. So it's, it's, it's a little confusing. It's not. And then like Tampa also adds that Sunday they're going to have a one day forty k friendly tournament. Which yeah, the I others, saw that. That was interesting. Well, no, wait. Uh, no, there's a one day friendly at uh, Tampa also, but KC does not have one. Or no, that is Tampa. Okay, I'm scrolling around the page. <laughs> or no, no, Tacoma has a one-day friendly as well. We don't yeah. because we have the teams tournament. So there's no, yeah. like, of, you know, you get knocked out of the the singles. You play in a friendly on Sunday. They don't have yeah. that. So since it's teams, right? Yeah. And then this all winds up for the finale, which this year will not be in New Mexico. Instead, it's going to be in Atlanta, Georgia at the Hyatt Regency on November 16th through 19th. And uh, they said they're going to try to make their grand narrative event even bigger and better. Which, which from what we heard from the last one, is going to be <laughs> a high bar, because that sounds... It's like it's going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to it. I want to go, because especially seeing them evolve this event... Because the first year, I don't want to say they didn't 
know exactly what they wanted to do, but they were going to hold it at the Citadel, and it wasn't didn't have a narrative. It was just the finals, and then that had to move to Grapevine Citadel. And I mean, I I went there and ended up watching it on Twitch instead. After it kind of, it was watching people play 40k. You didn't couldn't hear the commentary. But if that's the only thing they have, it's not that big of an event. This past year, by adding the narrative to it, it made it an event. And so, from like what you said, Rob, for us seeing what they did in year two or year one of the grand narrative, that no, this this year I'm expecting great things and i'm i'm looking forward to try to be a part of it are you saying are you trying to say that for watching 40k isn't entertaining i, I was <laughs> that watching that, other people play 40k isn't entertaining uh, it is for me <laughs> it, it was more fun watching it on on yeah. twitch than kind of just standing around <laughs> yeah yeah standing around watching other people play 40k is not fun <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, since the commentators are further away, I mean, mm-hmm. I get to, I mean, and this is just saying how good it is, I think, to watch 40K on Twitch when they have those official streams on, because I think they do a good job. No, I agree. I, I think being able to watch it on Twitch where you can, like, see what's going on and they can comment on it, you, you can show the score, it's like that, that makes it a lot easier. But yeah, like watching, being in the room, just watching people play 40K is not super fun <laughs> there's a phrase watching paint dry and it's kind of like that for me well hey, i mean hopefully my minis have dry paint yeah Pretty hopefully good. by that point every all the paint is dry but i mean See? you never know <laughs> but yeah that is the that is the big news is especially for us that it's coming back to kc is is uh i mean i think that was the biggest surprise because i was not yeah. expecting them to do a city repeat and right. especially not ours and i'm yeah uh, I, I, it warms I, my heart prior to this i was like even the week or two ahead of the announcement i was already kind of guesstimating where they thought they would go and i was thinking it'd be like omaha minneapolis maybe texas so when i saw can you said kansas city i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah, they they must have like had really, and also they had a really good space. the The convention yeah. center attached to the the Sheraton there is a really Sheraton nice Center is is fantastic. So yeah, yeah, excited, absolutely excited for that. And uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't happen at a you know better time for you guys travel wise to just be able to <laughs> stay a week. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Um, and then, the, like one other thing, or I guess a couple other things, we did have uh, the announcement that we're getting the horse heresy jet bikes in plastic. Which, I think that's uh, really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. I think they look ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they they the 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 resin models for these things look they look like a certain thing. So you just have to kind of <laughs> accept it. Um, but no, I think it's really cool that they're bringing jet that they're doing plastic jet bikes. I kind of wonder if this is like a precursor to them bringing back like jet bikes for Primaris Marines in the future. Uh, I could see that because, because it kind of makes sense. Like they, they should, there's no reason why, I mean, every, every other vehicle, the Primaris have are, are also like hover. So like, yeah, give them jet bikes. I don't know. just seems like it's interesting. I I like the models. Um, I've always liked, I've always liked the resin ones, but I'm like, I'm not going to, pay the price for them so but I, I will probably pick up some of these plastic ones for running as like by uh, to replace my like chaos bikes in my chaos army because they're those models are like 30 years old yeah <laughs> so, so you're saying if i wanted to like make my own space marine faction i could make my own bike faction in the future 
I mean, with the Arcs of Omen detachment, you can absolutely make an all pike army. Uh, but uh yeah so that and i'm glad to see that they are continuing with the getting all the generic like non-legion specific stuff out in plastic to continue to make horse heresy a uh, very accessible game which is like yeah moving anything out of resin is always good and you know anecdotally so obviously because i'm not everywhere but um anecdotally like the local stores here you know, have Horus Heresy Knights. They've they've got. I don't know if they necessarily have tournaments and stuff, but they have people that show up and play. So you know, it looks like it sounds like there's a, a good community for it, and there's you know a lot of uh, GWs continuing to support it. So I'm I'm glad that that they're not that the game isn't really like kind of falling off. That it does. Yeah. Well, like and Horus Heresy has always struck me as more of a narrative game than a competitive game. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, just having nights where people come out and play. Although, I gotta say, I'm surprised by what's catching on lately, because, like, for example, they did a bunch of uh, Middle-Earth drops, like, with, like, new Battle Forces and things, Mm -hmm. like, last, like, October or November, and then they had dropped a new uh, starter set in, like, December, December, I think. yeah. Yeah, and a couple of days ago, I was at Mind Games and Magic, our local game store here in Lee Summit, and there was like a 10-person Middle Earth event going on. Neat. Good. And yesterday, I believe Peculiar Game and Hobby was having a Middle Earth night. So, like, even that, like, by getting those games out there and, like, easily accessible for people to get into, even though, again, with both of those games, like, the more specialized stuff is still, like, Forge World kits by getting a lot of the basic stuff out there available and in plastic, you're making these games, you're lowering the bar of entry and you're making these games more easily accessible. Stores can carry them. People can easily build them and paint them and play them without having to deal with like all the difficulty that comes with resin. And if you make games available and relatively affordable, people will play them. It's funny how that works. So, so <laughs> Rob, is that the new entry point and where the new, because when we came in, 40k seemed really easy to get into and we looked over at at, um fantasy and fantasy just looked like oh that's just too many models and i i feel 40k is now in the thing of oh that's too many models and maybe these other games are the entry points Uh, i think there's multiple entry points and i don't think 40k is necessarily quite in as bad a spot as fantasy was um yeah but I do think that, like, 40K of all of them is probably the most, like, one of the most intimidating to get into. And I would, honestly, I'd put Horse Heresy and 40K side by side as far as, like, model counts and costs to get in. They're both games that the community generally plays at that, like, 2,000 point or equivalent level. Whereas I think Age of Sigmar has a little bit more range to it. Um, Well, I I think a lot of the other... I think that I think the entry point now is kind of those other versions of the game. So like Kill Team, Necromunda, Boarding Actions, uh the War Cry is a big War Cry. One for- yeah. Like I, I think that's kind of where a lot of the entry point is gonna be. And they've done a really good job of like, hey, buy this kill team box. Oh, hey, here's also the rules to play this in 40k. You know, so I, I think that's kind of the entry point between you know, and and the as we talked about the start the start collecting boxes, the combat patrol boxes, you know, are typically pretty good. If you're brand new coming in and you you know know what army you want to play, those you know the big boxes, the they are the army big boxes at the end of the year, and the the random 
I say random, but the, the, the periodic new army boxes are good places to start if you're coming in brand new. So I do think that there's at least, there's several on ramps into the hobby, which I think is good. Yeah, I agree. And they've, they've done a, a big job, you know, they've done a good job of making a whole lot of ways to play the game. Cause there's plenty of people who like, they get in at the kill team level and they're like, that, this is fine. This is where I want to stay. Uh, yeah. War Cry is the same way. Uh, so it's like, do you want to get bigger? You can. Do you not want to? You don't have to. And and also, I do appreciate that in the cases of both Kill Team and Warcry, they've made all the rules available as free, de- you know, downloads as well. So you don't, if you have models, you don't even necessarily have to buy any of the like the books or box sets. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Kill Team, you still have to buy like the books like the compendium or the seasonal books to get like the particular army rules except for the intercessor squad but Warcry, they still have like every faction's rules available as a free download so like Warcry, other like you technically don't have to buy anything other than models to play Warcry, which i think that yeah. is really cool so yeah they're 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 doing a better job and i think it's also games workshop spent a long time th- being the the king of the heap and so like if you want to play minis you you come to us and you play by the rule you know you you access things by how we've decided you want to you know we're going to charge you to access them and i think that as they have actually had to deal with competition like when x-wing came out and x-wing was suddenly like like because war mahords i don't think ever really seriously dethroned 40 like warhammer uh yeah it definitely like it, I think it did beat out fantasy, but fantasy was on a decline anyway at the time. But like 40k stuck around that whole time. X Wing came along and was like a serious competitor, and now you've got other companies being able to put out like skirmish rule sets. There's a lot of indie mini games that are are successful, and like the bar of entry into making miniatures games has gotten a lot lower, and so. Yeah. I think that Games Workshop is realizing that if they want to, they do actually have to compete in this space, even though they're by far the the most successful company. Uh, they're not the only one, and they have to make their games accessible to people. Absolutely. No, um, you know, as we've talked about in the past, things like 3D printing and, and, you know, the accessibility of CAD design make it a lot easier for a small company to design files and put those out there and be like, hey, here's our game, here's our rule set. We don't actually have to print the models or, or make the models. Here, here they go. You know, one page rules was able to to get started using that same model. And then companies like Cool Mini or not kind of back a lot of these as well. And I think that's really helped, especially on like the smaller, smaller side of it with like the skirmish style games. It's helped a lot more uh games be out there and and yeah that level of competition makes gw better because they have to compete for those people to get started there's still no game out there in my opinion that is similar at the 40k scale you know Mm -hmm. i mean you know i just don't think there's anything that big but on the lower end for like you know smaller medium-sized games there's a ton of competition out there right now Right. And even at like what i would consider the thousand point level which while Mm -hmm. games workshop rule you know technically supports like 40k like even in the tournament packets who's actually playing thousand point i like i find it unfortunate i would love to see more thousand point events but nobody nobody's doing that even though i've you know 
Games Workshop is technically supporting it. But for games at that scale, you're seeing like Star Wars Legion, for example, is a very popular choice at that scale. Bolt Action is popular at that scale. And honestly, like the Middle Earth games are played generally around that scale, like a step up from Skirmish, but not like a full like company size that you might see yeah. with uh, 40K. Uh, and then, of course, uh, at the skirmish level, they've got a lot of competition there. I mean, Marvel Crisis Protocol has gotten huge. And that that's one where that's a company that their plastic models give GWs a run for their money as far as, like, the quality of the sculpts. Like, those are really, really well-done plastic models. Yeah. There's the, the Game of Thrones game. Oh, yeah, that uh, one's also Games been... and Magic was playing a lot of that. Yeah, that's another really popular one, and that's one that scratches the niche for people who want that kind of rank-and-flank, like old Warhammer Fantasy-style gameplay. Uh, but the cost to get in is much lower because you're only dealing with, like, four or five units of like a dozen models a piece and you buy the like you buy a box of a unit and that's the unit that's it that's it's yeah. done um so yeah other companies are finding way to compete in that space at different price points and different accessibility levels and i think it's good though that games workshop feels that i i, I hope they do i hope they feel that competition and i hope it's uh pushing them to make better choices for consumers and not just try to be like crush it doesn't seem like they're trying to crush companies out of that space so much as trying to just make their own products better which is how competition is supposed to work yeah they're not wizard of the coasting things anymore no i was really hoping somebody would would avoid bringing that up but yes you know i was like i'm not going to be the person to bring it up i'm not going to be the one Which is actually, this is a good chance to uh, switch back over to listener mail. Uh, As always, these letters are written by you, the listener. Actually, I don't want to go to listener mail because there's one other thing I do want to talk about. It's something that uh, you brought up before we started recording, Kevin, and that is the the uh, year-long review they're going to do of classic Warhammer miniatures. And they, they dropped the first two of these. With uh, the classic Chaos Warrior Slambo model and the very first Beaky Space Marine. Yeah. When now, 40K like, first became a thing. Well, so it's funny is this this Imperial Space Marine predates 40K by like two years, I think. <laughs> like, I think this came out in like 85 or something like that. And like Rogue Trader didn't come out till 87. So, yeah, it, very interesting to see. I, I like this type of stuff. This is part of the reason why, like, most of my YouTube recommendations now are Snipe and Wib and, like, Arbitery and, like, Retro Hammer stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but I, I like looking at these old models and seeing, like, how far things have come and how, like, the paint jobs and paint quality are a lot different. Because um, I think this is the first time that I've ever seen models, like, official GW models from the GW studio posted on the Warhammer community site where I'm like, Oh, I could paint better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's like you look at Slambo and that that first Beaky Marine. It's like, ooh, that's rough. I mean, yeah. granted, that was like that was pretty standard for like the early '80s and what sure. people were doing yeah. with mini painting. But we've, it's funny how how far we've come since then. Uh, yeah. Even what we consider a basic acceptable paint job. Well, and also just the quality of, like, 
the model casting. Like, you can especially see on the Imperial Space Marine that, like, the casting technology is just gotten infinitely better. You know, and right. obviously metal to, to, to plastic and stuff like that. But, yeah, like, this is a rough metal model. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's that's how how it was back then, and it's and then you know they show what what those designs have led to in both cases, where we've got yeah. like the new Chaos Warriors for Fantasy, the the new Horse Heresy models, and it's like, oh yeah, we've come a long way since then, but like the that DNA is still baked into the design, like the 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 graphic design bible for this for these properties and. It's nice well, that that is still around, and I really like that. Like especially in the Slambo one, that they they drew they drew the line not only through the Cast Warrior line, but also to like you know the Sigmarines and 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 stuff like that. Where it's like you know if you look at the original you know uh, Harry the Hammer art for for the original version of, of Warhammer, you know he's got the cool ornate shield and you know and the big weapon. It's like yeah, that is you can definitely draw a straight line from that between that and like where the sig, you know, Sigmarites are right now. So yeah, I don't know. This is very cool to see those, to see those lines and see it kind of drawn out. Mm -hmm. And they're going to continue rolling these out throughout the year. So I'm curious to see what models they bring out next. Oh, please bring out the cardboard orc. Uh, That needs to be there. I want Dino desk, Marnius Calgar. (laughs) because <laughs> if for people who don't know the rogue trader marnius calgar model is like him sitting in a chair like filling out paperwork it is <laughs> wild <laughs> I, I want i want the the original nagash model oh, oh yeah clown oh, yeah. boy nagash <laughs> so i was so i was watching i think it was a i think it was squidmar uh, did a video recently where they were painting old Warhammer, like some of the worst Warhammer models to try to make them look good. And they were giving a little bit of history about the different models. And they mentioned when they got to the Nagash model that like, and I, and I could be wrong, but I want to say it was like Bob Naismith was the sculptor who sculpted the original, you know, Imperial Space Marine and some of the first Terminators and was like a really good model sculptor. And they asked him, was like, explain Nagash, like what happened? Because... It's bad. Everyone knows it's bad. It's awful. And he's like, so the first version of Nagash that I sculpted had a really, like, good face and, like, all this. And my boss was like, no, I don't like it. Go back and do something better. So I went back and I intentionally sculpted the worst face that I could so that they would accept the first model instead of, you know, and and they'd go back and accept that. When I presented them the second model, they're like perfect done print it and he's like oh no (laughs) (laughs) that's so great (laughs) oh that that you you did that to yourself that's (laughs) yeah like oh well at least at least that model isn't going to stick around for 25 years and be my legacy oh oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> Be careful what but, you ask for. But I am excited to see like where they go with this because I, I love looking at these old models. Like it's just cool. Like again, the the you know, to plug uh like other channels and stuff, like the snipe and wib uh model retrospectives where they go through like the line. 
of like a specific faction. Like they did one on Space Marines, they did one on Chaos Marines, they did a, a, a Necron model line retrospective. Those are so cool because you see like all of these old models that, you know, way before I ever started playing, but you just see the the trends and like how the models have changed over time and how the quality has continued to improve. And I don't know, it's just very, it's very fascinating to me. No, I, I do love seeing the history of, of the game. And yeah, both Arbitrary Inn and Snipe and Whip are really good for that. So uh, if you have not yet checked them out, I know we've linked to videos by that by i think both of them at this point mm-hmm. uh it, you definitely need to, ch- to check out in fact snipe and wib just did a video about the abandoned plans for a 40k mmo back in like the 20 like the 2000s that yeah. like almost and never was but it was kind of fascinating to see what's been done with that and apparently a lot of the people who did like design work for that like graphic design um, have released their stuff on ArtStation for people to take a look at. So there were definitely some big ideas there, but it just never ended up happening. Yeah. And it's cool to see to see history like that. So now we're going to switch over to listener mail <laughs> at this point, but I didn't. <laughs> I did want to cover that. But so as always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Uh, so first one is from Jeremy Hagen, and he actually has two questions. Uh, I have combined them. He sent like one right after the other, so I have combined them into one uh, letter. So. Jeremy writes, hello, guys. Do you think that we have entered into a perpetual rule set for 40K, given that there were lots of rumors of an addition change and then we get Arcs of Omen? It seems to me that Arcs of Omen is a bigger change than going from 8th to ninth edition. Do we need a new edition, or do you think that Seasons is finally the mechanism that will allow GW to tweak and tune the environment quickly enough for 40K fans? Also, it occurs to me that I've been listening to you for quite a while. While this might be a sore spot for us all, we are not as young as we once were. I'm wondering what concessions have you needed to make given the creeping gray hairs? For me, moving to bifocals has been an added challenge to my painting. I've had to add a magnifying lamp to my hobby workspace. I've also started pre-medicating and pre-hydrating before a long day of standing and playing. Thanks, Jeremy from South Dakota. Uh, So, uh, on the first question... I do I think we've mentioned this that seasons do kind of get us into the, a little bit of that perpetual 40k being able to change up the the army building and the mission rules and things to allow the game to stay fresh without necessarily requiring a, an addition change. Yeah, it's interesting because like it's definitely it definitely works for the competitive part of it and and changing up some of the rules. Because again, like yeah, the, the army construction, as we'll get into a little bit later, allows you to do different things and emphasize different play, you know play styles. But the problem is they're not really changing any of the core mechanics. And I, you know, it, at least some of the rumors, which who knows if they're actually true or not, are that like oh, this is going to be a massive you know reset to like the core mechanics of the game. And like, there's no real mechanism to change. Say for example, uh, you know, shoot the shooting rules without doing like an addition change or something like that. So right. I, I I think this gives them more opportunities to tweak the rule set and kind of change it up. And and definitely it definitely works from a competitive perspective and from a tournament perspective. But I still think that they're probably going to do additions and stuff like that and updated versions of the rule book just periodically, just because any game 
needs that. Um, hopefully this extends it out. So we're not getting, you know, we're not getting a rule set every two years. Like we did of those at sixth edition. I think the last six to set six to seventh yeah. was a really short edition change. Yeah. So like, hopefully this, this expands it out and like, we get back to the period of like where we've got, you know, five, six years between editions. I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but um, no, I think it's good to be able to refresh parts of it, but there's still certain parts of it that, you know, we'll we'll eventually need a, a full rules update and stuff. So, yeah i I do think that the Arcs of Omen doesn't necessarily like it does cover army building, and it does it is focused on competitive play. I I could see them being pretty happy with the um like with the basic mechanics of the game. I don't necessarily think we will see a lot of changes on the scale of like a seventh to eighth change. Like I've heard yeah, the idea of like an eight, like the idea of 10th edition being like completely different. And I think it won't be because the, the resolution of like combat mechanic, like the combat mechanics and movement, things like that. I think those are pretty much fine. What you might see is taking some of the things that they've done game-wide, not just, like, army-specific, but game-wide from, like, the balanced data slates and possibly rolling those in, like, the aircraft changes. I could see them rolling into a core book. There's a lot of rare questions that have been added via errata, which have been reprinted in the chapter-approved, like, mini rule book at the end. But, like, there's stuff that could definitely stand to have, like, an updated rule book, but not necessarily uh, an addition change. I think what you're going to what we could more likely see and what might be a finger quotes ad- addition would be a change in codex design philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I think we start, we have started to see that with like the demons codex where there's far fewer stratagems. We have the uh, guard codex where we don't have sub factions. Like it's not yeah. a thing. And so I could see codexes moving in that direction i'm curious to see what we're gonna get out of like world eaters because that is an army that could lend itself to sub factions that we obviously we've seen that with uh like death guard and thousand Mm. sons but i don't know if it's going to we'll see um especially with like fluff wise the world eaters are very a very fragmented legion so i don't even yeah. think there's an, enough of them in any one place to <laughs> have that level of of sub factioning but uh yeah but yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see what we if we're seeing the the design change obviously there's been rumors of a first founding space marine book to replace all the codex supplements that came out at the end of eighth edition. Cause that, that is technically one of the last things that needs to be updated to get everything fully yeah. in, into ninth edition that, and the, I think the inquisition or assassin rules No, inquisition had been reprinted in a uh, campaign book, but the assassin rules are still in war of the spider and those need to be updated as well. But um, I think we're going, we might see changes in how, codexes are designed but whether that will facilitate an actual like 10th edition or if we're going to even see like because 9th edition isn't i mean it is 9th edition but the book i don't think ever mentioned like describes it as a 9th edition it's just warhammer 40k yeah the the community is the one that has dubbed it 9th 
Right. Well, I think they stopped putting edition numbers back in like seventh, I think. I think that was just, I think that one was just called, you know, Warhammer as well. So yeah, it's, and then it's like, oh yeah, the new edition. So it's been a little while since they've actually numbered them specifically. True, true. So are we in a perpetual rule set? I think we could be. I don't, I I don't know if they'll do that because let's also face it like new editions sell <laughs> like if you mm-hmm. if you put something out as a new edition with a new um like new starting box and things like that th- that stuff sells so yeah, yeah we uh we, we'll still probably have something akin to editions even if they're just basically refreshes and cleanups it just depends on how how big a change you have to be before you're considered an addition change versus just a revision. Um, as far as things that change as we've gotten older, <laughs> I, I, I know we have specifically mentioned like we can't like doing two day tournaments. It gets harder as you get older. <laughs> yes. Standing is very painful. I mean, I, I don't medicate for those, but maybe I should, but I definitely have inserts for my shoes that I only yeah. wear when I go to tournaments, just so there's cushioning so it doesn't hurt as much. And yeah, hydrating is a big thing, both before and at the events. Yeah, for sure. And also, I guess I can toss in there, um, I also have... I, I call them transition where it goes from far to near, but when I have to paint, I did not get a magnifying glass, I just take my glasses off um, because then I'm so nearsighted that that I have to have the model so close for the detail work. So yeah, I, I feel that that thing of the eyes getting a little bit worse as time goes on. Yeah. I know my eyes have like, I've noticed that my focus doesn't shift as fast as it used to. Like if I'm looking at something very close up and then like I look look up for a second everything even with my glasses on everything's like just slightly out of focus and it takes like about a minute for everything to kind of come back in and i have noticed that with like with painting like if i'm getting into like a really close detail i may have to move like take my glasses off to to actually be able to see it technique valid yes (laughs) now i do have like magnifier like i have a magnifying like headband and i have a magnifying lamp that i've used for doing like fine work but i've been doing i've had that stuff for years and that still does help but yeah i've noticed that my uh it's like paint models like fine details yeah suddenly it's like oh but these glasses are actually an impediment to me even though they they allow me to see things far away now now they have i've been hoisted on my heart because like i have to take them off um so yeah as as i've gotten older i definitely have noticed a few changes and yeah that being able to do like two days of like renegade in a row back when we were like years ago nothing that was oh yeah that was easy it's like yeah it's like you felt great at the end of the night it's like maybe a little tired but not too bad and now it's just like after the like one day of the narrative it's like okay i gotta let my feet rest i gotta like i gotta sit down for a second stretch these pups stretch these puppies out ah there we go yeah that kind of thing and yeah very usually very sore when i get home so yeah we're not getting any younger are we Nope, and tomorrow we still won't be. We might nope. even be a little older. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's well, the goal, right? To not, for, all, not for all it to take, stop. Right, yeah, I'll take that over. They 
the alternative. Yeah, exactly. All right, then our, our second and last letter is from Cody Anderson. Cody writes, hey, guys, I just found your podcast a couple of weeks ago. Well, welcome aboard, Cody. Uh, I'm looking to get back into the hobby after a 15-year hiatus. Any tips for someone that wants to get into playing orcs, or should I wait until 10th edition to start? Also, if you have any suggestions for evergreen episodes from your podcast that I should go back and listen to, please let me know. Thanks so much. Keep on keeping on. Um, as far as evergreen episodes... I would I would I would say first off like independent of the episodes there's a couple of painting episodes we've done with Alex Hunt um that are that are evergreen episodes because they're not specific about like any any type of event you know any specific codex or edition um those are good episodes and Alex is great with you know oh, has fantastic. good tips and stuff yeah yeah uh episode 258 is Warhammer 2 complex um I think it's a pretty good discussion about just the rule set and kind of this kind of the some of the stuff we were just talking about with 40k. I think that's a pretty good one to go back and listen to. Episode 236, like a 10 year history of preferred enemies. That was our 10 year anniversary episode. Um, if you like listening to us, you know, be up our own asses about history, <laughs> that, that's a good one. <laughs> and honestly, I'd say like any of our our coverage of like tournaments that we've been to. Uh, even though we may be talking about something that is specific to that edition of gameplay, talking about the experience of going to events is is really good to have. Uh, yeah. You know, okay, so episodes 171 and 183 are our uh, Hobby 101 and Hobby 201. Hobby 101 is covering just kind of basic like getting into painting and things like if you are just getting started and with tips from people who are very good like competition level painters and then uh episode 183 which is the hobby 201 with alex is specifically about airbrushing so if you are interested in either of those um and then for this edition, I would say anything for like honestly anything from 2020 onward because obviously that's when the edition dropped. Those are always good. At, like evergreen is is kind of hard with some of the edition changes, and there's anything older than like episode 70 something has been. I have had to take offline just for storage purposes and because iTunes also doesn't <laughs> like the feed doesn't go further back than 200 episodes at a time. So like, there's not a whole lot of point. Like I still have the files around so I can, I've looked, you know, I can look at possibly posting them somewhere else, but, uh, but yeah, the, the discussion on complexity, like obviously the, the discussion of the new edition itself I think ha- episodes on like we have an episode on how to start a new army and also a couple episodes on like getting started in ninth edition where we talk about like starter level products and, and things to get, especially if you were looking to get back into it. That's a good set of episodes. And I don't think that's the only thing that will change there is it would be talking about combat patrols rather than uh, start collecting boxes. But but we do we do typically uh in each of the episodes where we're talking, you know, we're doing a codex review, we do typically, or at least we did for a while, mention like the the combat, you know, the the combat patrol box mm. and and ways to move forward with that to build an army. So if there's a specific army that you're interested in or that you think you might be interested in, you know, those codex reviews 
not only include, you know, the, the specifics about the, the current edition codex, but we also talk about any new models and stuff that get released at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, episode 240, the player's code, where we talked about, like, the basic guidelines on how to be a decent person while playing, you know, any war game uh, is always, that's a good evergreen one that is just talking about playing well, not not necessarily playing playing the game well from a tactical mm-hmm. advantage tactical standpoint but playing well as a human being and being being a good player is is a good episode to listen to but yeah episode 258 is you know is it too complex um and again any of our coverage of individual events is uh always a, a good listen so yeah those those would definitely be um the the episodes i would recommend going back to at this point and then, um, as far as should you wait until 10th edition to start, um, given that we don't know what that's going to look like, and I mean, most likely it would be out, if it's going to come out, it would be out this summer, but we don't know. And also, I can almost guarantee orcs wouldn't get, unless they do the whole index rewrite thing, orcs wouldn't get rewritten that quickly because the codex is only about a year old i think Mm -hmm. so i I don't know if i necessarily hold off i mean if you're nervous about holding off in general because you want to be careful about getting into like into 40k and having everything invalidated it's like i can understand wanting to hold off a bit but like if nothing else you could start buying the models and getting them painted yeah, what? that would be my thought yeah. suggestion. Is whatever mean, models like, call out to you, pick them up now and jumpstart paint them originally. Like I think Rick Richard was going to say too. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, orc boys. Just the the orc boy kit is still pretty new. Like they're they're not going to get rid of those, and they'll be mm-hmm. good. Like yeah, I mean, it's they're, they're going to be the backbone of that army. They're, yeah, so. Like, start with those. Get yourself, well, the, uh, like, a war boss, because they won't get rid of a war boss in some form. Well, and something else I was kind of thinking of, since you specifically mentioned orcs, you know, there are, the kill team rules are available, like, the light rules are available for free. There are several orc kill teams out there, you know, with the commandos, and, and I'm sure there's rules for boys and stuff as well. You could You could pick those up, start, you know, pick those units up, start painting those, start playing them in kill team. And then, you know, and then that doesn't mean that you can kind of wait until 10th edition comes out and see if you can then pick up the old orc codex or if you need to pick up something new or, you know, and kind of make some of those adjustments. Because kill teams on a on a completely separate cycle for its rules updates. So it might not be a bad idea to to kind of start with that. And then also, like I said, you could focus on buying a couple of units and painting those and playing with them and getting familiar with the equipment and the terms and just how they play, you know, and then, and then kind of graduate up to, to Warhammer once we get, once we find out how, how, or if the new edition is going to shake out. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you are interested in playing orcs and you don't have any models, I mean, the combat patrol is still a fantastic deal because it's 150 bucks for, Two units of boys, which they're fifty bucks each, so that's a hundred. Sixty for the Def Coptas, so we're already over the cost of the combat patrol. Then another thirty-eight for the war boss and mega armor, and then the Def Dreads probably another fifty or sixty. There's Def Dread. Def Dread is sixty, and something you have to order from them directly. So that's hundred, two twenty, 
$258 worth of models if you had to buy them separately retail, 450 um, that's, you know, that's n- nearly half off. Um, so you can buy that. And, you know, if you, you know, if you want to, you can start playing like there, are, like get the kill team compendium. Yeah. There will definitely be rules for playing boys in that. If you want to play kill team with that. Um, but that's a, a good way to get started. And, yeah, like Richard said, those models are not going to be bad choices. That you know, getting more boys is always good. So that's that. Yeah, that's kind of where I would get in. And even if you don't play right away, starting with a combat patrol, get it painted up, and then find like if you get it painted by the summer, or start painting it and get like you know some of it painted by the summer, then tenth edition drops, and then you can like if you're hesitant. Like, then you can, like, decide, like, if you need, like, if it turns out, like, the codex isn't valid anymore, you don't have to worry about buying a new codex. So, it again, we don't know what 10th edition is going to look like, and there's been so many rumors about whether it is going to be index level, re- like, a, a an 8th edition style reset or not. So, yeah, when we say index, we're referring to in 8th edition, when they basically change the rules, change the unit format and everything, every codex was invalidated and replaced with a set of four indexes that covered all the armies in 40k in kind of a, a very stripped down, streamlined format, and we don't know if 10th edition is going to require that same kind of rewrite or not. I hope not for the sake of guard and world eaters players. Cause that means they'll have like less yeah. than six months to use their books. So we'll, I mean, at we'll least see. GW has never, at least GW has never released a book that I've always wanted and then immediately changed editions like three months later before. When, when would that happen? Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but look at it this way: when they wiped out Trader the the Trader Legions book, they also wiped out the Imperial or like the Agents of that the is, Imperium book. So that is true. You got to take they, the good with the bad. That is true. I will take the good with the bad, but still, yeah, you take so, them both, and then you have oh. the facts of life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so start with the Combat Patrol. If you want to get into playing right away, yes, go ahead and pick up the Codex. I don't. think think it's going to be invalidated by a new edition i may be wrong this is not financial or legal advice but (laughs) um but yeah if you like if you want to get playing right away combat patrol codex start there um if you don't necessarily care about playing until the new edition drops still go ahead and get the combat patrol because it's a really good value for what you what you're paying and it gives you the core bits that you will need to get an orc army started um and then you can decide like when 10th edition hits then you can decide if you need to get like get the orc codex or get whatever index they do for it or you know however they manage it you'll still have good stuff to work with so combat patrol is definitely the a great place to start and if you have a uh 
question you would like us to answer on the air, uh, we have three good ways to get us those letters. First off is you can email us. You can email us at our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies.com. Also, you can email us at our first names, one word at preferred enemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there and follow us and send us messages. Third is we are on Mastodon. We are at warhammer.social slash at preferred enemies uh there's links to that on our facebook page as well uh so uh basically we will take uh letters and questions and comments from all those sources and throw them in the hopper and get through as many as we can in an episode the hopper is now empty so if you want to get your letter read on the air now is a perfect time to do it also, if you want to help support the show, uh, we are on Patreon. We are patreon.com slash preferred enemies. We basically use that as an online tip jar to help support the various costs for the show. Uh, we don't walk any of our episodes behind a paywall. So if you're not donating, that's fine. You're not missing out on anything. Uh, now, if you have the funds to do that, we do ask that uh, you look at uh, charities and causes in your area that can use your help and your funds. But if after that... Um, you still want to help support the show. Uh, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up, and it covers things like our uh, recording costs, our web hosting, uh, replacing microphones when they go bad, and uh, occasionally defraying tra- travel costs, which we're going to have a little bit of coming up this year with at least two people having to travel to KC and possibly three of us having to travel to... Um, to Atlanta. Now, with this, do not mistake this for like a GoFundMe of fund our trips to... Uh, to Atlanta and Kansas City. That that is not the I point mean, of this. If you want to, <laughs> I mean, if We're, somebody wants to, there, there's options to like add more than just you know. You can add whatever amount you want when you sign up to Patreon. So if you want to like get you know pay for all of our trips that's cool too go right ahead but please don't <laughs> yeah no we're not we are not asking you to do that please let me be absolutely clear if you want to help support the show every little bit of support helps so it does you basically what you have managed to do is keep the this show is income neutral like you, everything that we do as far as recording the show is completely covered by you the listeners and we are very very grateful for that and that is that is more than sufficient for us anything you want to help Above that, that's gravy. That's completely up to you. Do not let us pressure you one way or another on that. So, uh, Anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about building lists for the new Arcs of Omen Grand Tournament. Let me specify that. Grand Tournament, not boarding action. Arcs of Omen Grand Tournament uh, detachment. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. 
Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's our main topic, which is getting into army building for an Arcs of Omen tournament, or specifically Arcs of Omen detachment, or at least utilizing that. Uh, and we did cover this last episode. Uh, there's actually been some errata release, so we've got a couple of changes, and I can't even say they're minor changes. They're kind of important because they do touch on some of the things we mentioned, like you may or may not be able to do. So uh, first off, let's explain what the how the army building works. Uh, so again, if you missed last episode or uh, needed, you know, wanted a refresher, every army in an Arcs of Omen game, which is basically every grand tournament game this season, so for the next six months, is going to use the Arcs of Omen detachment. You have to have one Arcs of Omen detachment in your army. Now, the great thing about the Arcs of Omen detachment is how amazingly flexible it is. Your requirements are an HQ, unless you are playing either Imperial or Chaos Knights, because they don't have HQ choices. And then you choose one of the five following. Troops, Elites, Fast Attack, Heavy Support, or Lord of War. Whatever slot of those you pick, you have three required slots to fill. After that, you can add zero to nine troops, zero to three elites, zero to three fast attack, zero to three heavy support, zero to three lords of war, zero to three HQs, zero to two flyers, zero to three fortifications, zero to three elite characters, specifically characters, and then you can have a dedicated transport per uh, one per every infantry unit you have taken this detachment costs you zero cp because it is a required detachment they are not charging you for it it is completely free you pay you give up nothing by taking this the fact that like this covers pretty much everything you're going to do with a detachment for a single army like you can build a lot with this Mm mm-hmm Then on top of that, you can also choose to add one allied detachment, which must either be a patrol or a super heavy auxiliary. You can only have one allied detachment. Um, It costs you zero CP as well. And you are only permitted an allied detachment if it falls under a list of battle brothers, which is on the next page. And they basically say, like, if your Arcs of Omen detachment is this faction, you can include, like, this faction, like, one of these factions. So, for example, well, actually, I'll just go down through the list. We kind of sped through them last time. We're doing army building, so let's kind of get into the details. If your Arcs of Omen detachment is an Imperium detachment... You can choose an allied detachment of either Agents of the 
the Imperium, which can also be an auxiliary support. So if you want to splash in like one Inquisitor, you can do uh, Agents of the Imperium auxiliary support as an allied detachment. And again, the allied detachment becomes cost zero, no command benefit. So it's like, again, it, you don't even get like the minus one for taking an auxiliary support. Uh, or it can be a patrol detachment of Agents of the Imperium. It can be an Imperial Knight super heavy auxiliary, or it can, which will have one free blade in it. Or a Voton patrol detachment, which I find interesting because it does not work the other way. <laughs> well, the other thing interesting there is the Agents of the Imperium and the Freeblade, which becomes an Agents of the Imperium. Because they're Agents of the Imperium, they don't take away your main faction stuff. But the Voton unit is not Agents of the Imperium. In Crusade it was, but here it's not listed as Agents of the Imperium. So it would take away your army faction bonuses for both the Votan and whichever Imperium unit or army you're building. Right. So, yeah, it's not like you can do it, but I don't know if I'd recommend it. And the Votan aren't going to get their, like, Eye of Judgment either. So I don't think it's necessarily a great choice to combine Imperium and Votan. No, but at least you have an option. Not a good option. <laughs> no. Um, if your Arcs of Omen detachment is either an Asriani or Drukari detachment, you can include a Harlequin patrol detachment as an allied detachment. Um, if your Arcs of Omen detachment is an Astra Militarum detachment, you can include a patrol detachment that is only Militarum Tempestus. If your Arcs of Omen detachment is Gene Stealer Cults, you can include a Brood Brothers patrol, auxiliary support, or super heavy auxiliary detachment as an allied detachment. So you can splash in a Bane Blade if you want, <laughs> which is good to know. <laughs> if your Arcs of Omen detachment is a Chaos detachment, uh, you can include a Chaos Knight super heavy auxiliary detachment containing one Dread Blade as an allied detachment. Um, if it's an Arcs of Omen, if it's a World Eaters detachment, you can have all corn demons as a patrol detachment. Same thing for Thousand Sons and Zinch, Death Guard and Nurgle, or Chaos Marines if they're Emperor's Children and Slanesh. If you are not one of those God-specific ones, then you, uh, if you are Traitorus Astartes, so Chaos Space Marines, you can include a, a, a uh, Legion Demonica, a Chaos Demons patrol as an allied detachment. And then finally, if you are a Chaos Demons detachment and you are playing the Disciples of Bellicor Army of Renown, you actually get to have more than one auxiliary detachment because you can add a Chaos Space Marine patrol detachment and a Chaos Knights super heavy auxiliary detachment as long as it's House Corvax. And so that allows them to break the rules a little bit, but it has to be that particular Army of Renown. Now, on top of that, everything in your Arcs of Omen detachment has to be the same faction and, like, sub-faction. So if you make any changes, like you choose a chapter, you choose a legion, you choose uh, a forge world, everything in that has to be the same, which is similar to what we've had for, like, battalions and things like that. So there's no major change there. However, that does cause you to have some things that don't, that up until recently did not work in this. Fortunately, on January 18th, Errata was released for this Arcs of Omen Grand Tournament mission pack, which adds some of the following. Uh, first off, you can only, as far as like Supreme Commanders, because you notice there is no Supreme Command detachment allowed here. So if you wanted to splash in Abaddon or Shadow Sun or the Silent King or Bobby G, you can't do that. 
as written here, which is why the following errata has been added. Um, you can only include one Supreme Commander unit in an Arcs of Omen detachment. This makes sense. You can include Abaddon the Despoiler in a Legion detachment, even if it's not a Black Legion detachment. Uh, you can include the Silent King in a Necrons detachment, even if it's not a Zarakon detachment. Uh, you can include Shadow Sun in a uh, Tau Sept detachment, even if it's not Tau, or in a Sept detachment, even if it's not Tau Sept. Doesn't stop the rest of the army from having their Sept. It just, ta- she won't get any benefit unless you are also playing Tau Sept. Uh, same thing for Belisarius, Call, and Mars. And for an Adeptus Astartes Primarch who is not of the same chapter. They give an example of Reboot Guleman, but they do not specify him, i.e. we have more Adeptus Astartes Primarchs coming. So they have... Demon Russ! Hope springs eternal, doesn't it, Dennis? <laughs> I mean, look, he was he was eventually right about squats, so just give it to him. Uh, fair like enough. Ten years? In ten years? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you keep believing long enough, eventually you'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> I will say most likely all signs are pointing to uh, Lionel Johnson being the next Primarch because yeah. we do know that the chamber where his body has been resting is now empty. So most likely he's up and about. Uh, but yeah, so. Are you sure Necron just didn't collect him and put him in stasis somewhere? I mean, possibly. Trazen's kind of a jerk that way, so he might have. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, we're we're... Like, we know that there's a new Azrael model coming, so uh, Dark Angels are getting a, a bit of a, a small update, so we're probably going to see a Lionel Johnson before long. The other change was an addition to Battle Brothers, because one of the things that was uh, originally promoted when they announced the Arcs of Omen detachment was that, hey, we're going to have special rules for building Dark Angels and Drukhari. The Dark Angels rules were eroded. They released errata for their codex supplement. However, it just basically says that you can make your entire uh, detachment gain like the appropriate like Deathwing or Raven Ring Raven Wing rules, but it doesn't allow you to throw in like an allied detachment of like if you're playing Deathwing, you can't add an allied detachment of Raven Wing. Uh, that's one thing you'll notice that with very few exceptions you can't combine the same faction as a as like an allied detachment or even a, a like a detachment of a similar like grand faction so like you can't have a guard detachment with your space marines but how will i have 32 lucky guys you won't <laughs> that's the that's the great Aww. part you won't <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, what, one thing they did add, because Drukhari were built around the whole real space raiders thing, and that is not possible because you are not allowed to take just three, pat- you know, you can't have an army that's three patrol detachments in a trench coat. Aww. You can instead, uh, if your Arcs of Omen detachment is a Drukhari Cabal, Witch Cult, or Hemunculus Coven detachment, you can include one Drukhari p- Patrol detachment of a different type as an allied detachment. E- example, if your Arcs of Omen detachment is a Cabal detachment, you can select a Witch Cult or Hemunculus Coven detachment for your allied detachment, and those patrol detachments will gain their appropriate, like, obsessions. I mean, that's cool. I kind of would like the option of one or two to still include all three, but as I kind of, I guess, mentioned in the break, 
I don't have much Homunculus Coven stuff, so this actually fits the way I would play Drukari, where I would probably have a Witch Cult, Arcs of Omen, then Ally in the Cabal. So I'm I'm okay with this, although I still kind of wish there was a way to get all three. Yeah, but I can also see why they chose not to, because all three can sometimes lead to a little bit of taking the best of everything yes. in the co- in the yeah. codex, and that has proven to be a little bit of a balance issue. Yeah, and I mean, if you tried to build, you're essentially then building three different armies and trying to squeeze it into 2,000 points, which right. doesn't really work. Right. So, um, so you know, this is this is good. This does fix one of the, you know a couple of the major concerns with uh, the way that the Arcs of Women detachment had been released in the book is that like Drakari did not work, Supreme Commanders did not work. Uh, that is fixed. Although Supreme Commanders are still somewhat limited, like you can't splash Abaddon into a Chaos Demons army, which I have seen that like that was a build that was being thrown around a little bit. Uh, so before this came out, so it's nice to see that those units are not necessarily rendered completely worthless, and it also means that hey, if you are one of the Few people that bought that uh, Mechanicus uh, Battle Force that was released um, that included Belisarius <laughs> Call, you are not limited to Mars. So you, you can... Yay. Yay. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that's still available. <laughs> oh, uh, please. Look. Anecdotally, I saw several on the shelf of my local game store. It is yeah. if you go to these va- any of them sold. <laughs> so they they have a whole section of value added boxed sets, which includes like the the battle forces. Yes, the Mechanicus Elimination Maniple with Belisarius Call is still available. They still yeah. haven't managed to sell out even on the website. And and as Kevin said, even in the Dallas region, yeah, as of last week, I saw it at a couple gaming stores. So it, it's still around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, value added box sets. That's a neat uh, filter. I hadn't looked at that one yeah. before. Yeah. And it basically is like combat patrols, starter sets, the couple of start collecting that are still around. I mean, it, it it's nice to have that section where we can clearly point out it's like, hey, if you're looking for cheaper ways to get in, here's where you go. So, yeah, nice. for sure. So, yes, for 360 bucks, if you buy the Mechanicus uh, Combat Patrol and the uh, Elimination Maniple, you too can have the start for a uh, Adeptus Mechanicus army and still be able to use Belisarius Call however you wish to build everything else. Uh, so, with all that squared away, and with the understanding that, yes, you do still have to buy your Warlord traits, you do still have to buy your relic and you have the option to double up on any one of models like any like characters where you are allowed one of these choices in your army you can double up on one of those um how would we actually go about building lists for arcs of omen um so we're going to kind of to go through uh we we're going to start with uh armies of the imperium uh, then we'll move into chaos, and uh, and again, we are not going to touch on every faction. We are just kind of like what we have been tooling around with, because uh, like I have not built an Emperor's Children army for this yet. I've still got to kind of figure out where I'm going with with that. As uh, like, there's a new Demon Prince model that I may want to try to fit into an army that I wasn't using before. So, I, like, I will go ahead and kick it off with uh, Sisters of Battle. Um, so. 
I am not allying anything in, so I don't need to worry about bringing in any agents of the Imperium or a knight, and definitely not bringing in Votan. Uh, sorry, guys. I remember when you did have a knight, you hung out with your sisters. I did, and I mm-hmm. still could. I do like the fact that I do have that option, but I I chose not to because of the other stuff I wanted to take. Uh, so as I am wont to do, I am going Bloody Rose with this, and... Uh, I actually benefit from not having to have troops as my required slot. So I went with uh, my compulsory type as elites because I tend to le- lean in towards like Repentia. And that actually works out very nicely for this list. So uh, I went with um, Morvan Vol as my warlord because she is still just fantastic. Um, a Canonist with a bolt pistol and chainsword who I might end up giving the relic chainsword beneficence that uh, Bloody Rose can take. I haven't decided. If I do, I'd be down to uh, four CP to start with instead of five because I'm definitely giving Morven Vol her Righteous Rage Warlord trait because she kind of needs that to be at yeah. peak efficiency. A Palantine... Uh, two units of battle sisters that are five sisters each. And, uh, this is also one thing to point out. Be careful using the official 40k app. It will allow you to make illegal choices. For example, I was able to, uh, have a five sister squad with both a special and a heavy weapon and it did not complain at me at all. So just be warned about that. Uh, the 40K app, the official 40K app is still not good, um, which disappoints me a lot because they already have like the Arcs of Omen detachment built into it if you have the book and you've unlocked it on your account. But it does not actually um, allow you to build armies legally. So only two five-sister squads a, and then getting into elites, I have a couple of characters, and I have a, I have like my three required slots are two units of eight Repentia, and a unit of Paragon War Suits, and then I also have um, a couple of characters. Now, one of them technically I can have in a no slot because I can take a sister or a Repentia superior, but I still have m- enough elite slots that I could fit in. Uh, you know, for characters, I could fit in. The Repentious, two Repentious Superior and a Dogmata. And uh, I even had enough points left over because, like, I'm, my theme on this is an army that is very much seeking redemption. I have a trio of Arcoflagellants, which happened to fill in the last 39 points perfectly. Uh, and then a unit of Dominions, all with Meltaguns. Um, a unit of Seraphim with a pair of, uh, with, with two with uh, Hand Flamers. A uh, unit of Zephyrum, a unit of three Penitent Engines, a unit of Retributors with Heavy Bolters, and then an Immolator and two Rhinos, and I come in at 2,000 points exactly, and I like this because I can build, like, I was able to build exactly the kind of list I wanted to build without, because if I'd had the third compulsory troops choice, I would not have, ha- I would have had to give up something. Because that would have been like I think fifty five or sixty points base. I think the way I'm building, I think it was like fifty five points base. I would not have been able to do that. So this is a case where, like, I'd probably have to give up the dogmata, which just having that extra character in there to both act at you know with bring war hymns, and then I gave them the refrain of blazing piety, which basically gives me some mortal wound output, which is always nice. Uh, something that sisters don't normally have a lot of access to. 
this basically, yeah, it, it allowed me to build an army that is, you know, I still have plenty of bodies on the board. I have a couple of um, sister squads uh, that I can either like camp on objectives in the back or send out to do actions. Um, they are troops, so if they do manage to kill something, that'll, depending on what secondary missions I select, I might be able to get a uh, an extra command point here or there. And I was able to go in heavy on elites. Uh, and so, the, yeah, this list, like, point-wise, it might have been, well, no, point-wise, like, I would have had to make sacrifices to get exactly what I wanted if I had to take troops as my compulsory. This exact build is only possible because of how flexible the Arcs of Omen detachment is. So this makes me very happy. I I feel like I could take this list and and play it exactly the way I wanted Okay, I'll jump in here with my version of a sister's list, Rob. Okay. You're, I imagine yours uh, is very different than mine. Oh, it is completely different. I'm still doing my own create your own crap. Not craft world. Uh, order. <laughs> order. Um, but yeah, starting with Morven Fall, because have to have her. My yeah. favorite units are probably the jump, so I have Celestine. And and yes, GW, I've I've said this to you in the past. If there was a canonist or someone who could have a jump pack, I probably won't take Celestine. I'd take the canonist because that's more generic and cool. But and then also third HQ is gonna be a Palantine. Troop wise, I took a twenty strong battle sister squad and a five strong battle sister squad. Uh so I've got like max and in, in low. And then elites is where I put the Arcs of Omen required because I'll just start out with three squads of Paragon War suits because why? Oh not? damn! I love them <laughs> all in I on like them. Well, Morven Vol's leading the war suits. I mean, fair. And then I've got a Dogmata who gets to actually hang out with the twenty squad so they can still do actions and stuff because she's super useful that way. And then two squads of Sancrescents because I really like them. And now that. I said armor. Oh, yeah, armor of contempt is not a thing. Their shields are good again. So yes. having that, yeah. that two-up armor and the nice shield is awesome. And then I flush it out with what Celestine's kind of leading. It's a Zephyrum squad and then two Seraphim squads, which I can put in reserve and have them jump down wherever I need. So And that comes out to 2,000 points. And like you said, I can't do that if I have to have three troops. Because if I had three troops, I'd probably have a giant troop and then two small troops, and I'd get rid of one of the Sankrescent squads. So I could still do it, but it's the Sankrescents have a better survivability in my mind than a normal sister squad. True, they're not troops and objectives secured, but I've got the big and little squads to kind of handle that. So that's, I guess, my spin on a sister squad at, for arcs. And I think that does raise a question that with uh, troops no longer being compulsory, it does make whether you whether or not you want to take any of them or how many you want to take a real decision you have to make because you are giving up objective secured in many cases if you aren't taking them. Like, like I only have two objective secured units in this army, and I'm fine with making that that sacrifice because, like, my, exactly my goal is to kill everything that would be on an objective. <laughs> I, right. I think it's interesting. Like, there's a lot of flexibility with these designs and how you can load up on on things that are not troops, which, spoilers, I have a couple lists that also load up on not troops. But I do wonder if that's going to be kind of a trap choice because, you know, at least in competitive, you know, in tournaments, 
it's still about winning the games and you have to win the games by, you know, being on objectives. So it'll be interesting but to see how this shakes you out. You don't have to have objectives secured if you, there's nobody close. No, agreed. I'm just, I just wonder how the meta is going to shake out on that because on the, on the flip side of this, uh, which is spoiler for another list that I'm going to be showing, you can go full in on troops. So it's like, how is that balance going to play out? Like if somebody runs a list that say has 11 objective secured troop units in a death guard army, for example, you could just flood the board and control a bunch of objectives. How does that interact with one of these more elite armies? That's like, yeah, my goal is to kill you, but like, I'm going to have to chew through, you know, 140 pox walkers. <laughs> I don't know. It just becomes interesting. Hypothetically, right. if somebody were to design a list like that and then present it in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kevin, did you have an uh, Imperium one? Uh, I decided to go ambitious with my Imperium list and try to build like an Inquisition Agents of the Imperium list, and I could not make it work in Battlescribe, so no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> There's, there was a way to do it. I would need more time to be able to do it, so... That's no. fine. <laughs> I guess Richard, did you have one or back to Rob? No, I I am starting with with Zenos. I'm still working on orcs. Yeah. Orcs sounds awesome. Okay, Rob, do you have any more? Um, I do not at the moment. I okay. I could I could okay. put I could try putting one together for Blood Angels, but okay. uh, I, I can go with custodes and space wolves if you wanted to then look at Blood Angels in a minute. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for yeah, custodes. Yeah. I, I custodes is this is I guess one of the trap ones like you said custodes did get more of their units getting objective secured as long as their core which is aka their elites mm-hmm. so I thought hey well let's put out some custodes make it elites and I'm like yeah I've got my Laris custodes I've got my Quillen custodes they're all in the big heavy Terminator armor I can throw in some wardens which I never use because I never had spots for them because I needed all the troops. Yep. And Wardens are pretty cool. So I was like, oh, we'll go with that. And then um, I was like, well, I, I want to use the Praetors because I never use the jet bikes and I know they're good. And so, so far I've taken zero troops. Then I threw in like the Blade Champion and Valerian as the HQs and the Telamon. So that that's the base. And I'm like, I've still got a lot of points. I have a little bit of objective secured, but well, let's see if I can put more things in. And I said, well, Sisters of Silence, I like them. Let's add them in. So I added a Knight Centuria. And then I remembered the Sisters of Silence did not get an update. So their only objective secured is on their troop unit. And I can't have any Sisters of Silence troops in the army if I don't have custodes troops in the army <laughs> so <Oops. laughs> at that point I'm, I'm having to add at least one squad of troops back in to be able to put the vigilators in or the prosecutors in there as my sisters of silence and then that kind of works and I've, I've i feel like i've got enough objective secured so i i was unable to go troop less unless i wanted to toss in the orion and but i, I really didn't want to do that so this one's a, sh- a short list of just Blade Champion, Knight Centura, and Valerian, who's the Warlord. Followed up with Custodians with Spears, and then the Prosecutors. And then Elites, like I said, the Alaris Custodians with their Axes. The Aquilin Custodians with their Firepikes. And then some Wardens. 
and then two squads of Praetors with the Telamon. And that comes into close to 2,000 points. So I might play with it some more and see where I could tweak things. But once again, I, I'm kind of focused on that elite slot. But thankfully, I still have two in troops to get objective secured. And then all three of my elites are objective secured as well. So, And then I guess jumping over to Space Wolves. I, oh man, my mouth just dropped to the floor once again by trying to build Space Wolves because... I can put so much more bodies on the table than I used to, and it just the the free war gear is just crazy. So much so, I, I've I've I added to this list things I don't have built yet, like a a stormwolf. Um, <laughs> anyway, going on like the thing of I still want to try something with no troops and see what I could build because my, my space wolves are all about moving forward. Let's just try and kill them before they can do anything and knock them off their objectives that way. So focusing on Terminators and Thunderwolves. So HQs have got Arjack Rockfist, because he's just he's just a cool guy, with Logan Grimnar not on his sled, just by himself. Y'all Stormcaller, so pretty much the big three. And mm-hmm. then a Wolf Lord on the Thunderwolf. So filled out all those. No troops, so skipping to Elite. I've got Three squads of Wolfguard Terminators, one with Storm Shield and um, Thunder Hammers, one with all Lightning Claws, and one with, well, your standard unit with a heavy assault cannon. Uh, and then to flesh or add into there, I've got a squad of Wolfen because why not? They're good at <laughs> kind of being your assault. So can you see that this is an assault based army? I, I th- I'm seeing this pattern, yes. Uh, skipping ahead to the fast attack, uh, two squads of Thunderwolf Cavalry. I thought about doing one bigger squad, but I'm like, no, two squads of three, and then the HQ can <laughs> team up with one of them. And then, um, heavy support, a long fang unit with a, um, wolf lord, or not wolf lord, wolf guard there, who's got the cyclone missile launcher, and then a land raider crusader, because that's a great way to transport your terminators. And then, the last thing would be the flyer of a storm wolf, so it can transport the wolf in. And that comes to about 2,000 points. So, I mean, I didn't go all in on, like, I've seen a lot of people just do all Thunderwolves, and you don't see Terminators much, so here's my Thunderwolves and the wolf in be the fast get-in-theirs, and then the thunder the Terminators come in as the second wave, and the long fangs are my lone guys in the back saying, we're going to shoot something! So I, I have no objective secured in this army, so I don't know how, like you said, how that would play out. Because if I got into assault on a point, I would need to route them to be able to take control of the point. So that's it for the Imperium ones that I had designed. Okay, so I'm throwing together a uh, Blood Angels list based off stuff that I was building for my Crusade list. So I cannot vouch for the quality of this list. Um <laughs> And originally, I was going to try to do a uh, a compulsory, you know, the compulsory type is troops. I was going to try to change things up. But again, I end up going with elites, although I still do have four troops choices. But when you have zero to nine non-compulsory troops choices, I don't know if there's any benefit in going troop compulsory unless you know for sure that's the only thing you're going to have three of. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so, uh, and this one, like I said, I'm kind of converting a crusade list over. So if it seems a bit weird, um, I have a, 
For HQs, I have a captain, librarian, and lieutenant all in Phobos armor. Because this was going to be like my sneaky, sneaky blood angels who then call in a death company strike. And then a chaplain with a jump pack and an inferno pistol. Um, two units of incursors, a unit of infiltrators, all at like minimum size squad. And because of like the changes to like, like war gear and stuff, it's like I can equip them. Like if I want to have somebody with like the, like on the infiltrators have like the helix gauntlet or something like that doesn't cost me any points. So I might as well. The, like if I want to take haywire mines on the incursors, I might as well. They're free. The, a 10 man squad of assault intercessors, and then, so that's my four troops choices. So I definitely have like four objective security units and the, you know, one of them is decently large. And then in the elites, I have a death com- company dreadnought, a unit of death company intercessors that is six models, a unit of 10 death company Marines on jet packs. Again, like I have the options for, as long as I don't take thunder hammers is where the cost starts to go up. And if I want to take power fists, those cost a little bit extra, but like power swords, inferno pistols, chain swords, bolt pistols, like that's all the same, same cost. And then it's a, like a flat cost for the jump packs based on how, what the power level of the unit is. So I've got 10, 10 jump death company, uh, redemptor dreadnought. And again, none of the weapon options cost any different points. So this one's like the easy build one. So it's like, Gatling Cannon, Heavy Flamer, Storm Bolters. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, Suppressor Squad and an Eliminator Squad, a, a uh, Gladiator Valiant, which is the uh, the one with the last Talon, and a Repulsor. And again, I can equip the Repulsor any way I want because none of those weapons cost any, <laughs> any difference in points. Uh, so that all comes to uh, 1993... Uh, finding that those last seven points was a bit tricky because there's so few things you actually have to pay points for as far as upgrades. Yeah, even like I one of the Death Company Intercessors, I gave a melee weapon. All the options are are the same. So if I want to give him a Thunder Hammer, it doesn't cost me any points. If I want to give him a Power Fist, it doesn't cost any points. Um, so I like, I've got some assaulty units. I've got units that can uh, easily be infiltrated in to get on objectives early. And again, thanks to Space Marines, they can hold those objectives and then move away and still hold them. And then plenty of things to harass and pick out particular targets, things to go against armor, things to go against hordes. So hope, hopefully a little bit of everything. Uh, it's probably not a very competitive list, but I could absolutely play it in Arx Roman. And again, um, to, when I built this as a crusade list, I would have had to splash in like a pat- an extra patrol detachment to fit in the death company or no, I think not, not even that like a Vanguard detachment to fit in the death company. Cause those are all elite stuff. But fortunately, um, by being able to take elites as my compulsory type, I was able to fit them all in into one Arcs of Omen detachment. So, yeah, I, I more and more I'm seeing, like, troops is, like, the least compulsory of the compulsory types. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's nice to not have to deal with Space Marines with, like, the upgrades for the most point. You know, like, there's a few oh, yeah. that you pay points for, but it makes a big difference in how much you can fit in. Yeah, I felt like I fit in so many of the Space Wolves. I, I just... I, I, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I guess we're ready to do Chaos. I think we can switch over to some uh, to some Chaos armies. 
I only have one, so I'll let someone who has more go first. Well, I've, I'll go ahead and I'll start with this one, and it's uh, it'll go very quick. Um, so I didn't. Uh, I thought about building a world leaders one, but honestly, everything's going to change so much with the new codex coming out. I'm like, it's not worth it. I don't know what the points are for stuff. I I want the idea of being able to drop if if it works point wise, like multiple lords of skulls and Angron, uh, and then just have like big punchy things. So I don't know, but I'll have to wait until that book comes out and we know those prices to, to really be able to do it. I could build it under the current stuff, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't seem like it matters. So instead I kind of took some of the same ideas and I built a, uh, red Corsairs, uh, army and I took as the compulsory, uh, Lord of war. So this is the entirety of the list. I will read it off from start to finish. Lord Discordant on Hellstalker, a Warpsmith, three Lords of Skulls. Oh my gosh, Kevin. (laughs) 1,980 points. (laughs) I want to be a knight list without having any knights. Yes, basically yes. That's It's uh, better knights. And because you get... Because they're all in the detachment, they'll get the Warlord trait, which allows them to to charge on the turn they advance. And oh with the Lord, with the Disco Lord and the Warpsmith, I have things that are healing them. <laughs> <laughs> so two out of the three of them are going to be nigh invulnerable, and we just have to kill that third one that doesn't have a healer sure. with it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, the Warpsmith's gonna gonna struggle to keep up. I I could probably tweak this and have put like uh, three Lord Discordants and like three like Chitons or something, or you know, two Lords of Skulls and a Chiton, but. I don't know. I like the simplicity of this. And the, when I when I dropped it in here and it came out to literally almost exactly 2,000 points without having to tweak anything, I was like, oh, well, this just Sold. feels right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. That sounds like a very friendly list, Kevin. <laughs> I love this attachment because it allows you to do stupid things like this, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rob, do you have a chaos list that you want to talk about? I, I am getting one. one. <laughs> I am getting okay. one finished up shortly. I will jump over to Slanesh Demons then. Um, just to see if I could make Arcs do stuff with it. I tried to use no troops again. Um, this time when I tried that, I tried to focus on fast attack and get three squads of Seekers to kind of be the first part of the army. Because um, they could be the ones to run up and hold things or annoy you until all the big things got there, which by the big things, I mean, um, Zrachniel, um, Shiraxi Hellsbane, a keeper of secrets, and then a demon prince. And because I can have other things, Herald wise, I can add two more HQ slots, which being Celeste and the contorted epitome. And I was like, Hey, this is a lot. What do I still have? Oh, I still have points. Oh, let's add some troops. Oh, I can even add another Demon Prince or Keeper of Secrets. And yeah, it, things just started falling down then because I, I started getting above points. So really my options would be I, I had to turn back to going on troops because that, I hate saying it this way, that got me closer to 2000 than it did if I had no troops and focused on just the elites or not the elites, the fast attack for the Seekers. So in the end, I, I dropped one of the Seekers and dropped one of the two Demon Princes and added in three squads of Demonettes and switched it back to Troop as my compulsory. 
and that got me to 1995 points. So I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm not making any changes to my Selenish Demons. I'll just keep them as is, focused on a little bit of troop, a little bit of fast, and a lot of HQ plus one Lord of War. So that's a part or a time when troops are still needed because there's not that many other options. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unless you're, yeah, unless you're going to go like Chaos Undivided with demons, there's really, you're kind of required to take troops. Yeah. Now I couldn't. Which is why I think it's very interesting that like, I kind of think that demons are going to probably be more allies. Like, I think you're going to see where you're going to see demons is you're going to see like the allied, you know, detachment show up in a emperor's children or a world leader's army or something like that. Uh, maybe, but I, I just to let you know, I do have probably 1500 points of this 2000 are HQs plus Lord of War. <laughs> so you can see where I actually I mean, went heavy on. <laughs> I mean, I did you. I had. Uh, at almost 2,000 points of my army in Lord of War and HQ, so, you know. Well, I only have 360 <laughs> I can take, because I have one, and it's a named character. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so I have a chaos list put together now. <clears throat> so, uh, I decided to go with, because like I said, it's still kind of figuring out what I'm doing with Emperor's Children. I went with an old classic and went Death Guard. Um, and this one I wanted it to do because it also takes advantage of one of these stratagems, specifically the heroic support stratagem. Uh, so I started off with Mortarian, and being able to throw Mortarian as a Lord of War in without having to do an extra detachment is very nice. I really yes. like that. Uh, and then going through the list, I did go ahead and make troops my compulsory type because it is technically one I can fit in, and most of my elites are characters. So mm-hmm. I didn't need the elite slot. So in this case, um, so I've got a Lord of Contagion and a Typhus, which I can do because he, while they are both uh, basically uh, lords of, I think what's the lords of the Lord of the Death Guard, I can take two of them with uh, the uh, stratagem. Uh, then I have one, two, three units of seven Plague Marines. Because you gotta you gotta do the magic number, and while I have them like equipped variously, again all their options are the same, so I could change the loadout here without affecting the list any. And then a unit of twenty pox walkers to go along with typhus, a unit of seven blight lord terminators. Again, all their options cost the same, and then the trio of foul blight spawn, plague surgeon, and tallyman. Although I think uh, one of them can tech, I think one or more of them can technically fall under no force org slot because, like, if you have a chaos lord, like a lord of the death guard, you can have like one or more of them uh, with no force org slot. So technically, I don't. That's one reason why I don't need the elite slot to be my compulsory. And then a fetid bloat drone, a plague burst, car- and a plague burst crawler, and that comes in at nineteen eighty nine. And again, nice. it's hard to find upgrades that will cost points. The only thing I think on here where there's an upgrade where I'd actually have to pay for it is the Plague Burst Crawler comes with an entropy cannon by like entropy cannons by default. Technically, my Plague Burst Crawler isn't modeled with them because at the time entropy cannons weren't good. So mine has the Plague Spitters. The entropy cannon does actually cost 10 points each. 
So if I take that off, that frees me. That gets me to 1979, and I could throw in just as a joke a single chaos spawn to get to an even Yay. 2000. Nice. So here I would have plenty of objectives secured, including the Blight Lord Terminators, which that is that makes that unit particularly nasty. Oh, I guess if I needed to come up with five points, I could give the deathly the deadly pathogens to someone. So sure. if I wanted to. To keep, you know, but again, it's like I've got some options on how I want to build this because like, uh, yeah, the um, I know the foul blight spawn. There's I think it's viscous death. You absolutely want to give him that because it makes his sprayer like ridiculously because it lets you reroll the number of attacks he makes. Yes. Which is really good. And uh, that is one where it's like I am spending one. So I'm spending two CP, one for Mortarian's warlord traits, which, again, you absolutely want to take. Which, again, glad that that has been clarified, that you get all three traits for one low cost. And then one for the heroic support. If I wanted to, I could throw in an ex- I could throw in a relic on somebody. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like I have to. But even then, I actually have the option because before this, I think after taking Mortarian and a Warlord trait and a relic, I was down to like one or zero CP. It was, so, uh, again... Arcs of Omen makes this possible because, like, being able to double up on Lords of, Lords of the Death Guard, uh, being able to fit Mortarian into one detachment, everybody being able to... It, it just works very well for building this kind of list without having to do weird shenanigans. Well, speaking of weird shenanigans, I also built a Death Guard list. <laughs> How different you is could, yours from mine? Uh, a little bit. So I use troops as my compulsory because... Of course, it is a Death Guard Demon Prince with a uh, with the sword and the Plague Spewer, Typhus. And then let's see here. One, two, three, four, four, five man men squads of Plague Marines. Okay. Uh, three units of Blight Lord Terminators, minimum five man units, and that. And seven units of 20 man Poxwalkers. <laughs> uh, so basically, it's exactly, it's exactly 2,000 points, and you will not be able to move because you're going to have to kill things to move <laughs> to create any space. <laughs> so while the Terminus Est Battle Force has been retired, you're still going to play it. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I just, because it's one of those. Trace, Kevin. Yes. Well, this this is one of the things where, like, we were talking about, like, Eh, would you ever do the thing with troops? And I'm like, well, no, this is an opportunity here where, like, I actually have, let's see, one, two, three, four, eleven units of troops in this army. And, like, I think there are certain armies, uh, guard, maybe, you know, maybe we get to, like, Tyranids, things like that, where, like, no, being able to go full ham on troops is, uh, can be really interesting, um, and can give you a really cool, like, ways to build an army and do things that that other armies can't do. I mean, because this is the thing, like, not a lot of other armies can put this many, like, tough to chew through bodies on the table. I mean, because, like, that's 140 pox walkers. That is uh, 1, 5, 10, 15, 20 plague marines and 15 terminators, plus typhus and a demon prince. Like, that's going to be a tough army to table for anybody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're you're going to struggle to deal with that. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at this. If I wanted to play around with this, I could make those squads of Plague Marines minimum size, and then I can fit in like four of them. Mm-hmm. And then that gives me the points. I can keep the uh, if I 
yeah, if I want to, I was trying to see like if I could, yeah, I could keep the plague burst crawler, and that gets me to nineteen seventy five, and then it's figuring out like where to get the extra twenty five points, and again, the only thing that really fits in is a chaos spawn. That's the downside of not having to pay for any options is it's hard to squeeze like spend those last few points. So you you feel a little bit like you're leaving stuff on the table, but. To be honest, though, I'm so glad we're not having to fiddle around with, like, points on upgrades like that. This oh, is, I agree. This has made list building so much easier, like, just sitting down and doing this. I'm like, oh, I don't need to go in, because especially with Death Guard, you can customize and give, like, special weapons and stuff to almost anybody in the squad. You know, I'm going to do a five-man squad with two special weapons and, uh, you know, a melee weapon and this, and I'm like, I just don't want to... I just, all right, here, put it up there, and then I'll figure out what models I want to use. Like, it makes the list building aspect so much easier. Right. Well, if I wanted to drop Typhus in play, in exchange for a Death Guard Demon Prince with wings, uh, that gets me to 1995. So that would be... That would that would be a way to redo that list if I yeah. if I decided to go and that would probably be the better ways to have those you know more squads of plague marines more units yeah. to chew through so yeah probably yeah yeah and still have the the twenty mans like yes the pox walkers won't get buffed by typhus but that's okay they'll be they'll be fine but yeah so but yeah there there's a case where you leaned into troops very hard to be able to maximize those slots like almost entirely something you yeah. would not be able to do if you had gone like elite or something like that and i think this is where this is going to shine you know the, you, you're going to be able to see army like armies be able to go in for theme and which which has always been a thing that we've talked about before like i remember back in the you know the fifth sixth seventh edition days where it's like oh tyranids have 18 great elite options, but we can only take three. You know, that's not a problem anymore. There's so much. This is such a way to, like, change up what's going to be on the table um, and give so much more flexibility with a relatively minor change. Like, it's just we change the force work. Okay. Like, honestly, I'm really excited about this. This is really cool. No, this is this is a, a great force org chart. Uh, probably the best one. The... I'm just going to say that this is, I think this is the best, most flexible four sword chart that this game has had while it still does have limitations. Like you still may mm-hmm. have to decide like, uh, like where is your compulsory type going to go? Because like I tried to do uh blood angels with troops and ended up having to switch to uh, elites because it was the only way I could fit in enough elites, but I still had enough troops choices. It wasn't like troop slots available. It wasn't really an issue. So yeah, again, it's like you, you still want to choose one where, you know, you're going to have fill all three slots, which also being able to build knights with the same detachment that we're talking about is phenomenal. <laughs> you it know, doesn't like we, make them feel ostracized anymore. Exactly. It's like, you're playing the same game as everyone else. And the fact that the missions even call out like armagers and war dogs to be able to play by the same rules as troops is really good. Uh, shall we take a look over at some Xenos armies now? Sure. Yeah, I, have a, I have a couple that I built. So yeah, so I, I got a couple of free two factions. So all right. Well, um, let's see. Uh, I I'll go ahead and throw my my list in the ring first. Uh, this I basically took my uh, Crusade Tau list. However, I could not fit the Townar in. In a two thousand point <laughs> list, because of the changes to points for like crisis suits, 
uh, which is unfortunate, but it is, you know, you have to be flexible. But this also allows me to do something that when I was originally looking at the Tau Codex, I was really hopeful for. And then I realized that super heavy auxiliaries didn't get the sept trait because of how they're built. So it's like you can't splash in a Lord of War and get faction benefit, like get sub faction benefits, which was frustrating. And it was also like if you wanted that, you had to either you had to build build a detachment that could take three super heavies. And for Tau, that's kind of a tall order because storm surges are very expensive. Three storm surges costs more than one town are. However, I can now build a list where I can take two storm surges and they get the sub-faction benefit. So I went ahead and went troops as my compulsory type because I knew I would have three troops choices. And uh, this is Borkon Sept, so my weapons have additional range. I can use a stratagem to shut off invulnerable saves for someone and just give someone generally a bad day. I went with a uh, commander in an enforcer suit, and uh, this is a case where I do have to play around with points because Unlike Space Marines and Chaos Space Marines, Tau have to pay for all their upgrades. Yep. But a commander in an enforcer suit, an ethereal, those are my only two HQs. I have three troops, uh, one, one unit of breachers, two units, uh, like two strike teams, uh, one trio of crisis suits, uh, one squad of pathfinders, one broadside. I had enough points to fit in a hammerhead. It's because I'm, I'm not going to allow you to have invulnerable saves. Sorry a Devilfish for the Breachers, and then two Storm Surges. So I'm actually able to splash in two Lords of War into this list, into a single detachment. And that's something I've been wanting to do. Storm Surges are actually pretty decent, but it's been hard to build them into a list and get the full benefit out of them. And so Mm. having Lords of War slots built into this detachment as non-compulsory is fantastic. It really makes list building for Tau a lot more flexible because storm surges were a thing you either went all in or you went none of. I don't really... I remember seeing, like, army, like, battle reports early on when the Tau list came out. It's like you'd see somebody trying to pull off the triple storm surge list, and it didn't work terribly well because you just gave up so much to fit in 1,200-some points of storm surge. Now I've got 800 points of Storm Surge, and I still have other things on the field that can do objective taking and things like that. But I also have these two very strong Lords of War, which together have more wounds than a uh, town are. Because they're 22 wounds each, and they've got a 2-up save, a 2-up, 4-up save instead of a 3-up, 5-up. So um, these are actually better choices than the one thing is their ballistic skill isn't native like i think the town r was at a three up to start with but i i mean these started a four up um and i can easily boost that with marker lights so that is not a problem i'm very happy being able to splash in super heavies and so maybe my two storm surges won't collect dust forever (laughs) right well i uh I was working on building a Farsight Enclave's army, and I didn't because because as we mentioned, like the the fiddly bits of the list and things like that and points, I wasn't able to kind of figure it out. But approximately, like it's Farsight and a Cold Star Commander, three units of broadside or of a 
And then basically from there, it's like just a bunch of uh, different, you know, crisis suits. So three units of crisis suits, maybe in the bodyguards to get more crisis suits on the field. And then I was looking at, I think, two riptides, two hammerheads that came, uh, not hammerheads, uh, broadsides. And it came out to a, about like in the ballpark of where it was going to be about 2000 points. But I didn't get a chance to go through and like fill out everything and like specifically assign all the stuff. But, but basically, yeah, it's like I want to go with a full, you know, crisis suit or you know suit or tau army the one that i was able to put together quickly though and and get completely up to points on uh very similar to what you were just discussing (laughs) so (laughs) an arcs of omen detachment the hq is long strike the heavy support options are three hammerhead gunships with rail guns my lords of war three storm surges and in fast attack it's basically yeah, three units of marker drones for a marker light okay. support. No, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So you have no troops or no forward advancing stuff, really. No, this is this is the ultimate castle in the back of the back of the corner of the board and make you come to me, army. But I'm also going to atomize everything that comes near me with the uh, the rail guns and the the pulse driver cannon or the you know bla- the blast cannon, whichever one I decide to take. Yeah, I don't know how well that last list would actually do, because if people can get a point and hide... Oh, absolutely. It would be garbage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, one that would be, the one that would be more fun and I think more competitive, more interesting to play is the, like, crisis suit-heavy Farsight Enclave's army. It's just one of those where I'm like, I wasn't able to figure out, like, all of the fiddly points to get it to 2,000 points in the time that we were, you know, while we were talking here. <laughs> Fair. Okay, well, I, I guess I will jump to a different faction then. I'll go to the Eldari. Um, I built a couple lists. Um, both are silly, but I think they would be feasible to actually maybe win a f- couple games. Uh, the first one's something I've wanted to do with the Eldari for ever, and that's make a Phoenix Lord list. Now, or I guess I should call it an Aspect Warrior list, because um, with only four HQ slots, I can only put four of the Phoenix Lord's there. So I, I chose Asherman, made him the Warlord, Fuegan, Janezar, and Mugen Ra. And the importance for this, and also why Asherman's probably shouldn't be there, and is each of the Phoenix Lords makes their Aspect Warriors that are with them objective secured. So that's where my objective secured point holding is going to come from. I say that with Asherman because the Dire Avengers actually have a Exarch upgrade that makes their squad objective secured, so he's not needed for that. So in this case, I just did not take that on the Dire Avengers. Um, but then, yeah, I went Elite Heavy, or made that compulsory. So I've got a squad of Dire Avengers, Fire Dragons, Howling Banshees, Shadow Specters, can't forget the Forge World aspect, and Striking Scorpions. So, yeah, that's one squad of each of the things with Exarch upgrades and, and weapon upgrades for the units. Uh, no troops, because there's no Aspect Warrior troops since Dire Avengers moved. Fast attack, I have one unit of Shining Spears, one unit of Swooping Hawks, and one unit of Warp Spiders. So there's three fast attack, and I've got three slots for it. It's It fits out great. Once again, they also have the Exarch power and a weapon. Um, Dark Reapers. Well, that's the only heavy. And then a flyer called the Crimson Hunter Exarch, because the Crimson Hunter is technically an Aspect <laughs> Warrior. He is, yep. <laughs> and so that in it in itself, I mean, 
is just about 2,000 points. Because, like, you can fiddle with the Exarch powers, but that's one of every Aspect Warrior unit and four of the Phoenix Lords in an Eldari list that I think could actually be viable. So that's list one. List two for the Eldari is totally different. I went, again, with Elites as the choice. Um, the HQ is a Farseer Skyrunner, um, also giving them the relic to make them objective secured, because, well, Farseer on bike, with the Warlord trade of Fate's Messenger to reduce damage to zero once per battle round. And being objective secured is really nice. But the Elites are um, a squad of Dire Avengers with the I'm objective secured Exarch trait. And then two squads of two warlocks each, just so that way they're not characters, because I don't want them to be characters. Right. And yeah, those are only 50 points each. And there's my elites. And then for fun, I've thrown in a Wraith Seer with a D cannon. You can see I'm going a little psychic heavy here. Uh, and then my Lord of War is the Revenant Titan. <laughs> but so, you can do it! <laughs> this comes out to 1990 points. <laughs> so I could nice. have a Revenant Titan, Wraith Seer, a Far Seer on a Skyrunner that's probably not going to die, Warlocks that probably will die, and a squad of Dire Avengers to hold down the fort. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That, and as you can see, two Eldar lists, totally different from one another. And in fact, Eldar, if you want to do a standard Eldar list, there's so many different... I mean, I've always said Eldar had so many builds you could do. And I really feel like the Arcs of Omen detachment just opens that up to say, hey, do you want to make a Wraith army? Do you want to make a Super Heavy mm. army? Do you want to make a Phoenix army? Although I will say the Wraith Lord, not Wraith Lords, Wraith Knights are still not the best for the points. So you probably, uh, splashing one in is fine now, but I would not take a lot. Just like you were kind of saying with the Storm Shurges, Rob. Yeah. Next. I can do I can do my orcs list. Okay, okay, go for uh, it. So I took the Snakebite Clan, and I'm going Squig Rider. I I picked fast attack for you know my compulsories and used three six man units of Squig Hog Boys, and then three knobs on Smash of Squigs, and those don't actually take up a slot. Uh, so then I also have a ruck, truck squig buggy, and then two three man units of def coptas, and for the warlord, beast boss on squigasar, and pain boss and a war boy as the other, uh, HQs, a hunter rig in heavy support, and a squigoth, and then, uh, in the squigoth, have a, a ten man unit of beast snagger boys, and and then another twenty man unit of Beast Naga Boys on foot. Oh nice. Comes out to like exactly two thousand points. Lots of squig. So much squig. Yep. <laughs> All the squig. But it's a Love theme it. and you took it through the whole thing. So I, so so Kevin, I have I have taken the challenge of building a Farsight list because I realized yes. there was something this would allow that eight what yes nice. yes <laughs> yes so for the eight for farsight enclave tau uh farsight uh and then a commander and enforcer battlesuit with uh 
air bursting fragmentation projector, psychic ion blaster, plasma rifle, two gun drones. I have two units of crisis bodyguards, one of which has dual fusion blasters and dual, and the other has dual flamers, uh, and then two uh, two marker drones, two shield drones. Oh, and the the enforcer suit had two gun drones, um, and then a unit of crisis body bodyguards that are both plasma rifle, tau flamer, shield generator, and then each having a pair of drones. And then uh, the broadside with high, uh, missile pod, smart missiles, and missile drones. The riptide with ion accelerator, mi- smart missiles, and shielded missile drones. That covers the eight. So now what do I have points left for? A unit of six marker drones and one, two, three, four units of three crisis suits each, all equipped identically to the ones I normally run with burst cannon, plasma rifle, flamer, and then shield gens and early warning overrides and stuff scattered throughout. That comes to 2,000 points exactly. (laughs) So I can run an all-suit list, all suits and drones. Wow, as the perfect. as the eight. Um, no, so that's, that's, I would have that's pretty impressive <laughs> with, of course, elites as the compulsory type because I have no troops in this army at all. <laughs> but it is the most farsight of farsight lists you could have. Well, that's no, amazing. I will agree with that. So I know this one works. I, I came up with two Necron lists, uh, one more of a joke Ooh. list, and I don't think it actually works because I think there's limits on number of Satan shards you can take. But at least from a list building perspective and a points perspective, the list that I built was a Lord, a, py- a Psychomancer, Shard of the Deceiver, Shard of the Nightbringer, Shard of the Void Dragon, a Transcendent uh, Satan, and two Tesseract Vaults. And that comes out to exactly 2,000 points. <laughs> but I think there's a limit on the number of like shards of the, of the, the Catan you can take. So I don't think that's a valid list. Well, the if you are limited to one, remember, if you're limited to yeah. one, you can take two by taking heroic support. Yeah, well, but still, like I have like I have like three, so oh well, yeah, that would be a problem. He, he's treating them like the Phoenix Lords. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I was I was trying to see if I could build a a complete Satan only one, and I could because I can take out I can take out one of the shards and I can do some other stuff. But that, so that was just kind of a, again a joke list that I was building. The one that I was actually interested in, I think, would actually be a fun Necron army to play. So I went through and I I. Uh, made this based off a of fast attack. The HQs are Illuminator Saris and a Scorpec uh, Lord. And then I have two units of elites, which is two units of Scorpec Destroyers. My fast attack are two units of Canoptic Wraiths and three units of the uh, Aphelion Destroyers. And then my heavy support is three units of six-man uh, Locust Destroyers with a heavy destroyer in each unit. So basically an all-like destroyer cult army uh led by led by illuminator saris <laughs> oh that would be that would be fun to play yeah that would i think it, i don't i don't think that would be good but there's a nice mixture of some shooting and some melee i think it would be fun um i don't think it would be very good but it would be fun to play <laughs> so, so kevin what i'm getting from all these list building exercises is that the friendly event at midwest conquest should absolutely allow the arcs of omen detachment uh i mean i'm probably going to yeah i'm probably going to just use that for the list building because i think it a yeah it's what everybody will be playing at that point like everyone's gonna be familiar with it and we as we've determined you can build a lot of very strongly themed lists while 
not having to struggle with actually building them. I think the only yeah. thing that would be illegal would be Dennis's list from last year's friendly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, well, yeah, I think I might be able to squeeze that in. I... Just make it a custodes list, have the one free blade instead of the, all the other knights. And right. And which was my original intent for the list. Well, you and wouldn't have been able to add the Inquisitor. S- well, can, yeah, you, can. you can add an Inquisitor into any detachment hmm. as yeah, an HQ enough. slot. Yeah, fair enough. So I could just drop the knights and build it as custodes. Fair yeah, you'd enough, only though. have the one knight, which would make it much more oh, easier list to play against. <laughs> It'd be more that's a more fun <laughs> list to play. <laughs> I mean, or if I I wanted like I could do one knight with the the Revenant Titan, right? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh no, I won't do that. I do want to play that someday, but I have to put it together first. Oh, I guess are we back to me on Xenos? I uh, I think we may finish up with this one. Okay, yeah. I have Votan. Surprise, surprise. Um, couple different list ideas, which are different. I think Votan got a huge benefit from Arcs of Omen in the fact that their troops are pretty specialized and expensive. So it really kind of felt like a tax for having them. But hey, we've got these things called Pioneers in the fast attack slot, which are also objective secured. So um, the first list I did was built around that concept of two squads of Pioneers and then two squads of Sagittars. So I've got four Sagittars. And so then I've got two squad, two of troop units. And so with the four Sagittars, I can break apart all of my troops into the Sagittars and suddenly have four five-man units of... Votan troops that are objective secured plus my two bike squad. So I've got six objective secureds. Round that out with a land fortress, a forge master, so he can heal the land fortress, and a call. And that comes out to 1999 points. And I think is very flexible in how fast it can get around the board. Which so, is always something that Votan normally struggle with. So anything you can right. do to help that is good. And splitting of the troops out, I've got more I can disperse them to different locations, have them get out and have coverage that way for where I need objective secured. The other list was just I've got the big Terminator guys, I want to use them. So this one has elites as a thing, and it's more like earlier unit or earlier lists we've built are me- very melee focused, no objective secured. So this is that style. With a call and a high call. So since they're different, I didn't have to use the stratagem to add two calls. Um, and two Einhorn champs, because the champs are just beat sticks. Um, elites, three squads of the Hearthguard, because, well, that's the crux of the army. And then one squad of ten berserks, which I will then store inside of the Land Fortress, which as the delivery system. And then also have one ten-man uh, troop to just sit in the back, because I had points for it. So as you can see, that one is very melee-focused. It's not as fast, but with the teleport shenanigans, I can do a little bit of stuff. Um, but anything I get into melee with, I should do decent, because the champs are just awesome at melee. The berserks are great at melee. The hearthguard mm-hmm. are good at melee, good at shooting. They're just slow. But I can teleport one unit of those a turn. So I think this unit or this list would also be pretty interesting to actually play. No, it sounds like it. I mean, it, and it's going to play very differently than the other list, so... Yes. Flexibility. Flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, so I I, I hope this exercise has shown the, the... 
variety of lists that this kind of army building can allow um, that. And, and like, we haven't even gotten into things like, you know, I don't think any of these lists splashed in a, an allied detachment. I didn't like no. yeah, building mono faction. I didn't feel the need to do. And you can't, if you're playing mono faction, you can't splash one in apart from, well, for Drukari now. Or well, guard. I, I like think those are the two. For me, if I were to build either one of my fluffy story mind lists, like my craft world had a association with Harlequins. So if I were to build a fluffy list like that, I would include the Harlequin Patrol in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if I were to do my um, Inquisitor and Knight Sisters, I would probably, like I said, run it as Custodes throw in the Inquisitor as the agent of the Imperium person inside of their army, and then add the detachment to add the free blade. And then that's, those are the only two times I would splash in anything. And that's only for fluffy reasons, not because of competitive. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we've been able to cover everything from like making sure that we've, you know, deciding whether or not we need troops for objective skewered. How heavily do you want to go into troops? How, you know, you know what kinds of like being able to splash in, you know, bring in a, a like Mortarian or bring in super heavies or just build a detachment that's almost entirely super heavies. You know, it's like yeah, I mean, we've been able to do pretty much. I I think anything we'd really want to do list building with this. Uh, so I I couldn't put all the Phoenix Lords in one detachment yet. Ah, eh, well, there is that. Okay, so. Yeah, I, I need think- three more HQ slots. <laughs> I think you're just going to have to pick a trio and work with them. <laughs> Quartet. I got four in there. Quart- oh, you did. Yeah, you did get four in. So <laughs> just wait till they release the long, long lost uh, Warp Spider Phoenix Lord. Then, or the then- Shining Spirit Phoenix Lord. What would the Crimson Exarch Phoenix Lord look like? <laughs> he's just, he's surfing the top of a plane. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like the the blood angel surfing the uh, the the deep striking land raider. <laughs> ah, so yeah, so the arcs of omen uh, build list building for arcs of omen the the uh, grand tournament pack and using the arcs of omen detachment, you can build a lot with this. Uh, and don't so like if you are interested in playing even at a casual level, if you want to build just fun fluffy lists. This detachment makes that very, very possible. I'm curious to see how the uh, narrative event in uh, KC is going, you know, for the US Open is going to work. Because if they are allowing the the Arcs of Omen detachment, there's so much we can do with that. That is going to be a lot. Yeah, because they'd have to spell it out because this is not in the core rulebook where the Crusade rules are. Very true, and it'll be interesting to see if the core if they stick with the the core rules because that is kind of self contained. But yeah, we'll see. And that's my my one curiosity is maybe if we don't exactly get a tenth, maybe we'll get a this summer a crusade rules update, mm-hmm. which would be kind of cool. Yeah, if we get something that is just like a revision, is it going to be a ninth, like a tenth edition, or is it? Gonna, are we going to see like a nine point five? You know, I'd be fine with a nine point five. Because, like I said, my issues with ninth are entirely in codex design, and that can be handled independently of a full, like, rules reset or rules change. Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, we'll go ahead and move on towards the end of the show. As far as hobby progress, I have actually made quite a, a bit of progress on my sisters over the last couple of weeks. First off, I got all of them rebased onto oh, wow. res- onto 32-millimeter uh, resin bases, uh, which actually, I think only in one or two cases did I lose any of the, the metal pins that I was using to um, uh, attach them to to the bases so there's a couple that are just glued onto the base now rather than being pinned we'll see how well they hold together if i have to i can always pre-drill and pin but most of them are still pinned although i had to be like bring down safety goggles because there were shards of because to take the old (laughs) ones out i had to break the old 25 mil resin bases and so there were shards of resin flying everywhere it was i mean no dust like they were all clean breaks but it was uh it was dangerous. So, uh, but that is done. And now I'm in the process of painting the newer sister models I have. So I started with my Repentia and Penitent Engines and Arcoflagellants. And so um, been putting down skin tones on my uh, Repentia, which has been a uh, good time to experiment with doing different skin tones with contrast paints. So I've got everything from like a very light like pale skin to nearly completely dark brown. So, uh, but, you know, kind of, you know, working a range in there. Um, and I, I went ahead and did like, uh, they ha- they were all primed black. I went ahead and went over them with the white uh, primer from uh, Monument Games, the, uh, God, their Pro Acryl, their white yes, primer. Yeah. And uh, that, that's given them a nice Zenithal effect. And I went ahead and did it on my, uh, the Slanesh Herald, that I that I bought at the last U.S. Open, and uh, so I've been doing skin tones on her as well, although with very different colors <laughs> because uh, mm-hmm. she is not flesh tone. But uh, though, and then I basically base coated all the uh, like the penitent engines and arcoflagellants and silver, so I can just paint the parts of them that are not metal and uh, go from there. So uh, actually, making good progress on the sisters army. So I may try to play sisters for the uh friendly at uh, midwest very cool i've been i've been finishing up moving and i know i've it seems like i've been saying that i've been moving for like five years but i actually finished now like i did the final like u-haul trip so um now it's just unpacking and kind of getting things organized uh but that said i did do a little bit of of unpacking (laughs) i know well yeah it'll take way longer than that um but i did do some progress on my world leaders um, I needed to to get a few things painted and, and ready for LVO this next weekend. So for whatever reason, and I don't understand how this happened. I lost both havoc launchers off my rhinos. So oh, no. I had to paint. I had to paint up new ones. I don't know. I think just in the process of packing up, I they probably just got dropped somewhere. So no big deal. I had extras. Um, right. And then I had to. I realized that I'm since I'm running a different list with uh, than my crusade list. I. Uh, because I didn't want to bring, since it's the friendly, I didn't want to bring any of the Lord of War. So I'm adding in some extra, um, some more bodies of berserkers. So I had a few, uh, a few more berserkers that I had to um, paint up and uh, you know get rebased and things like that. So looking forward to kind of running that last time out with the the old berserker models until hopefully you know because I I doubt. I mean we don't know exactly when the World Leaders Codex is coming out, but I doubt that uh, I'll get a chance to play before again before that happens. So. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be fun to go to, to go to LVO and and uh, you know run these guys out there for a little bit and uh, 
I'm I'm excited for the friendly. Like it's going to be. I think it'll be a fun event. Okay. Remember last time where I said I was working on pioneers? Yes. I'm still nope. working on them. Uh, <laughs> I, I did add more color. I've got pretty much all the colors done. Now I just have to do cleanup, shading, drawing the line, or like the edge highlighting, I guess it's called. I called it drawing the lines. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they're, they're getting there. So maybe by next time I'll have them complete. But in the meantime, I went ahead and put together two more Sagittars. So this will be Sagittar 3 and 4. So... My next step on those will be to get them primed, and then they can go into the paint queue. So that's all I've really done for this time. For me, I was able to put together the Ursula Creed I got. Oh, nice. From Games Workshop. And I put some Gene Stealer culty stuff on her and swapped out the head. And so it's not really Ursula Creed, but it's Ursula Creed. Yeah, nice. Because I've decided the plan being that I'll probably just, since I can't actually use a bunch of the stuff in, in a Brood Brothers detachment, I'll just make Acadian army. But whoops, they happen to have Gene Stealer heads. <laughs> oops, all Gene Stealers. Oops, oops, all Gene so- Stealers. The, the Imperium is lying to you. They blew up Cadia to cover up. <laughs> The, the uh, gene I mean, stealer in infestation. That head cannon works just as well as anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know that we, you know, we were talking about like some of the uh, uh, guard items that we, you know, we that we did get from GW. And we're kind of splitting up. Since you're working on building a more traditional guard army, do you want that Rogaldorn battle tank? Because I know that there's a few things in there that you weren't able to use, but and I haven't done anything with mine yet. So yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> Because okay, I, I, be, I would probably be going tank heavy anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I can certainly send you that because like it's a cool model, but I it's with with the stuff that I've got working on and kind of my backlog, it, it, it'll be a little while before I get to it. So yeah, okay, cool. Um, and then I put together the the Cadian command squad, and it will run like I made sure like the options that I took on it didn't conflict with like the data sheet for the generic platoon command squad so i could technically run it in in, like as brood brothers like a platoon command squad also nice um and then one other thing i picked up at the u.s open in in kc i got a scythe tire duel and i finally got that put together oh cool Bring some big boys to the table now. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that brings us to the morale phase. I actually, like, my last two weeks has been mostly tied up in that whole stupid Wizards of the Coast thing. So I haven't, I mean, that's been, like, all the media I've been consuming lately. I blame myself. So <laughs> I have one I have one item that I wanted to talk about because I don't think we have actually, I've, I've wanted to talk about it a couple of times. I don't think I've actually had a chance to do it. And it kind of makes sense because the Academy Award stuff's coming out this week. If you have not seen this movie, I highly recommend it to anybody. Everything, everywhere, all at once. The Michelle Yeoh, uh, Ki Hui Kwan, uh, multiverse movie. It is literally the best movie I've seen this past year. I, it is, it's been winning a lot of awards like Michelle Yeoh and, and, uh, Ki Hui Kwan have been nominated for a lot of, uh, 
acting awards. Jamie Lee Curtis is getting, getting some nods for it as well. It's been nominated for like best picture. It's been nominated for best director. It is absolutely worth watching it. The movie is a blast. It is like incredibly fun, but like also like poignant and like, you know, dramatic in spots too. And like, it's, I don't know, like it's, it's one of the most innovative, creative, like ways of using a multiverse, you know, not to, and not to say that like Marvel hasn't done that, but like, it's way more interesting to see the multiversal concepts used in a film that doesn't have like all of the baggage of a shared universe with it because you could literally just go crazy. Like there's, there's one universe where they have like hot dog fingers. Um, and like, it's treated just as normal and like, as you know, as important as all of the other multiverses. Um, so I don't know. I, I think obviously there's other great movies that are coming out this year. I doubt it wins best picture, but for me personally, that's been the best movie that I've seen this year. It is available on Paramount Plus and I believe on Hulu right now. Um, and it's, you know, once it gets nominated, I'm sure it'll go back into theaters for a little bit. But absolutely amazing movie if uh, if you have not gotten a chance to see it yet. Yeah, it's it's great fun. It is actually the first movie that I went back into the theater to see after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like, at I mean, after the shutdown and, and everything, like, it was yeah. the first movie that I saw in theaters again. Yeah, yeah, it's been one that has been on our list of movies to catch. We just, for some reason or other, just never get around to it. So, yeah, we we need to to get back to it. But yeah, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about the movie. So, like, I need to get on that. Yeah, and yeah, considering that the award the awards have been going out and like Kehui Kwan is like, you know, coming back from basically an almost 40 year departure yeah. from from Hollywood and just like slotting right back in has been fantastic. Well, and it's also one of those things too where it's not even, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, it's a great story, it's a great comeback story. And it's it is that, and that's not taking anything away from the great comeback story. It's also a great performance. Like he literally like centers that movie and, you know, and just, it, it's a great, it's a great performance. And because it's, it's a multiverse movie, he's playing multiple characters. So he's able to like, even sometimes within scenes, switch characters and it's totally believable and it's totally, it and it totally works. Um, and it's, like I said, it is a great performance. Yeah, as a, easily my favorite movie, probably my favorite movie that I've seen like since like Parasite. So like best movie in the last couple of years. Very cool. Very cool. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely check that one out. Plenty of places to watch it. And uh, yeah, I will get on that because I, I do that. I, I need we need to see that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up episode 273. I imagine 274. If nothing else, we'll be hearing from Kevin on how the LVO friendly went. And I imagine yeah, we'll have a whole that. and we'll have a whole set of uh reveals for upcoming releases to talk about. I don't know, like man, how big would it be if they did decide to drop an edition announcement? At LVO, or do you think they'd wait till Adepticon for that? You know, get a. I'm later thinking Adepticon, but I remember seeing like you had to have a ticket to get in, unlike okay. last time when you know you kind of snuck in at the last second. Right. Yeah. 
I, you know, I was starting to think about that. I think that they showed a bunch of like animation preview stuff, and I think still a couple of those haven't come out yet. Like I know that they showed the uh, the 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 Tau uh, the Tau one. They showed the Blood Angels one. I think there's a couple that they that I that they still haven't like come out with on Warhammer Plus yet. So, oh, it's interesting. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I can try to make it. But it'll be you know. Yeah, so I imagine we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about next episode, and hopefully we'll find out more about when we're getting all that new World Eater stuff, which is coming down the pipes. So, anyway, uh, that wraps up the episode. So, um, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and there's a lot of good list building to be done with the Arcs of Omen detachment. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.